How on earth do Swindon Town Football Club find ourselves in this position? I've said that twice in the space of 10 months with very different connotations. So 2021, 2020, 2021 was a season to forget as our club was hit by COVID restrictions, the breakup of a league winning squad and its management team, the plummet back down into the league's basement division. No fans, ugly football, and with a wholly unpopular manager at the helm. July uh, 2021, and the club faced the prospect of non-league Melksham, Swindon Supermarine and Weymouth, with a mere handful of registered pros, a beleaguered team of backroom staff working without payment, and court cases uh, with owners um, that are battling for stewardship of a club whilst its dirty washing is, unfortunately, once again, being paraded for all to see. So the club eventually limped through a woefully short pre-season and into 2021-22 under transfer embargo, along with other clubs such as Scunthorpe and Oldham Athletic. A raft of new faces on and off the pitch and renewed optimism, however, surged through the club. Stunning away form, balancing home frustration as town kept pace with the other promotion hopefuls. On Monday the 18th of April, however, many, including myself, believed the season had all but petered out as lone recalls, injuries, illness, suspension, untimely lapses and infuriating home form appeared to have finally caught up with the town. A 2-1 two, a, a home reverse, the former town hero Richie Wellens' 10-man Leighton Orient painted an ominously gloomy picture for us all. Well... As the season reaches what is for many an unlikely climax and both Oldham and Scunthorpe drop unceremoniously into non-league, Oldham, let's remember, were one of our Premier League opponents back in the glory days of the early 90s. Swindon Town now find themselves just two games from a Wembley playoff final, having produced an unquestionable footballing miracle. Pure football in a league of hoofball? Technicians in an environment of up-and-at-em set-piece giants? Well... As a wise man once said, football, bloody hell. Well, joining Tyler and I tonight to reflect on a quite bizarre season of topsy-turvy Wiltshire footballing fair, our BBC Wiltshire's uh, voice of Swindon Town commentary, Andrew Hawes, who has been with us for every kick of the season, and of course, Swindon Town broadcasting legend and lifelong devotee, Vic Morgan. But before we get to those guys, Tyler, good evening. How are you? I'm, I'm good, mate. How are you? Yes, I'm all right, mate. I'm I'm start. I don't mind telling you, starting to feel the early nerves. I'm starting to feel You're the early nerves. These nerves, mate. No, well, nerves are nothing. Listen, I as far as I was concerned, going into Saturday, as you will know, I was actually feeling pretty damn calm, and it was only talking to fellow town fans in the build-up to our preview show for Warsaw that I started to feel a bit nervous, but. I think it's just starting to see our badge now appearing on the Sky Sports graphics that's just really drummed it home that, like, I can't believe it. We're there. We've made the playoffs. It's bonkers. So, yeah. But but you're in good spirits here, Ty. Yeah, I'm I'm buzzing with it, mate. Um, hopefully it's a good one and hopefully there will be the uh, armada of people in these Agbo shirts that I've just, just ordered. <laughs> a shameless, shameless plug. Shameless plug. Well, it's not, not so much a plug there. They're... Uh, off, off orderability now, for now. Yeah. So Maybe they'll be back if he signs a new deal. We'll, oh, we'll see. All right. Well, good on you, mate. Good on you. Well, look, let's introduce, let's bring our guests on, shall we? Let's, uh, if we start by saying good evening to broadcasting legend himself, Vic Morgan. Vic, how are you? 
silence from Vic. Now I know that Vic. Uh, oh, got... Sorry, sorry. Oh, Hannah's... he's back. <laughs> yeah, you you went um, um, a bit like Doctor Who and the Dalek then for a minute, so I kind of missed the vital <laughs> words. <laughs> oh, I do apologise, Vic. Well, I'm, I'm I'm queuing you in, buddy. I'm queuing you in. I, I, now I was just about to tell the, uh, the the listening public. I'm sure you won't mind. You've got a dual role tonight because you're also on babysitting duties, aren't you? Yeah, we are. But um, the grandson is currently at jiu-jitsu. He'll be arriving home any moment now. So goodness only knows what will be happening. So, uh, yes, apologies for any any jiu-jitsu type noises that happen in the next hour or so. Yes. Plenty of judo chop is what we want to be hearing, Vic. Plenty of judo chop. Um, Excellent. Well, look, brilliant, brilliant to have you with us, Vic. Thank you for joining us. And we'll, we'll also bring on board um, a certain Mr. Andrew Hawes. Andrew, good evening. How are you? I'm I'm all, I'm all right. I have no jiu-jitsu to offer you, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> now, gentlemen, are you both sat there resplendent in bucket hats and sunglasses? Vic, that was a spectacular appearance from you on Monday. Well, uh, I haven't actually got it on tonight because it's uh, well, there's, there's no camera available, but um, I kind of, yeah, it was interesting because on Monday <laughs> I was getting ready to do the, the supporters club thing at night and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to nip up to my local sports shop, see if they've got any. And thankfully, they did have a bucket hat. So, uh, yeah, I just thought, well, why not? You know, um, it takes me back to my hippie days when I used to wear a bucket hat all the time, quite frankly. So, uh, yeah, you know, why not? Let's do that, shall we? Well, it suited you, Vic. I've got to say, but I can't. <laughs> I have tried many a bucket hat, and it just makes me look like even bigger moron than I actually am. So, um, <laughs> but, but hey, listen, it's like we get away with it, right? You wear anything in a, in a, while you're sporting Swindon Town. As hopefully my son proved on Saturday, parading around the best got as an eight foot dinosaur. Um, well, well I, hey, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, let's be honest. It's, I mean, people do fancy dress on the last day of the season anyway, don't they? So, you know, eight foot dinosaur, why not? Let's do yeah. that, shall we? Yeah, work. and that was and that was very much the spirit. So, Vic, obviously, and Andrew and Tyler, and indeed to myself, we set ourselves some homework in readiness for this show, didn't we? Where what we're basically going to be doing, we're going to punctuate um, our reflections on the season and bring our sort of personal seasons to life um, by instead of going through and doing a formulaic game by game. Although there will be, of course, some reflection on our journey through the fixture list. Um, we've all drawn up a list of the five things that we have loved. And indeed, the five things that we have hated about this season. And uh, there's quite a nice bit of variation across our respective lists. So I'm going to be looking forward to uh, dissecting those as we uh, as we progress forward. Um, I couldn't think of two better people to come into the Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge to uh, reflect on the season. And, and the reasons that both, both yourself and Andrew um, make perfect guests for us is that, obviously, as I said at the start, Andrew's been with us for every single kick of the game and has provided us with some truly, truly iconic commentary moments. And indeed, yourself, Vic, you've, you've got this wonderful um, tenure as a Swindon Town fan, which gives you so many playoff campaigns to reflect on and so much sort of bonkers bedlam as this season has been uh, to sort of juxtapose what we've seen this season against. Um, I, I could not think of two finer people to have with us. So you're very welcome. So I hope you're all settled in beverage in hand dear listeners because uh, between the uh, our two esteemed guests um the rather youthful presence of tyler and the rather fat bald annoying presence of me um we're going to bring this swindon town season to um and uh, to uh, a, a nice boil ahead of our double-legged affair in port vale so um i'm going to start by um bringing you in here ty um and, and what I want you to do is ca cast your mind back to um, the pre-season period, if I may, 
as um, as, as a lad that has um, unfortunately not had the ability, as I have, due, due to age, to um, sort of pull on the early 90s, late 80s successes of Swindon Town Football Club. And to our older listeners, of course, uh, many of those, Vic included, will also have a certain event in 1969 to pull on. Um, you, you've had sort of um, scant fare uh, to enjoy um, in terms of your, uh, from your, your respective view in the county ground. Now, but tell me, Ty, what was going through your mind as we sort of entered that pre-season period with approximately five or six pros, depending on which way you cut it on the books, um, and um, more more uh, online uh, court case uh, viewings than um, than I care to mention. Well, it's an odd one because obviously, when you were going into it and and before it had been announced that, that the club had changed hands, it, it was a bit bit like uh, what what is going to happen? I'm I'm sort of terrified and and hoping it's not the worst. But then as, as soon as you sort of get past all, all of that nonsense and, and Clem's taken over and you've got Ben Garner, Ben Chorley in charge of all the football side and and you've got Gladwin coming back and and that that sort of thing. And then and then you're seeing the names linked with the club, such such as Johnny Williams, which which is very odd to read and and then you sign in your Williams and you read it. It, it was sort of an odd confidence as soon as the club had changed hands because Everyone was underestimating us, and to be fair, they think think even all of we were because if you gave us playoffs back then, surely we were all biting your hands off for it. Yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right, and I mean, I, you know, Vic, I'll, I'll, I'll draw you in at this stage because it sort of went from kind of it went from famine to feast in many ways, didn't it? In a very, very, very quick space of time, but nonetheless. Um, even despite an encouraging sort of pre-season performance against Peterborough and some indifferent fixtures against our sort of lower, you know, our non-league opposition, we still went into Scunthorpe, not having a, a, a clue what to look forward to, didn't we? It was interesting because, uh, you know, I went to Melcham on that Friday night and everybody that was there were just sort of looking around thinking, what's going on? You know, is this going to be a season or isn't it going to be a season? Will we have a football club or won't we have a football club? Uh, then we all turned up at Supermarine and a certain Australian started walking around the ground and there was a rumour that the deal had been done. So, you know, the mood lifted and then one Anthony Grant was there playing at Supermarine and of course the, that game against Peterborough he, he played in that friendly and got a standing ovation when he came off so the mood really did go from sort of the slough of despond to sort of the very big heights and I just I keep telling people this story it was a Friday night I was out with my walking football team having a pizza you know it was like a sort of social get together and I looked on my phone and saw that we'd signed Johnny Williams for goodness sake and it was like a fall off the chair moment and suddenly you thought well actually do you know what this is going to be a half decent season I'm not going to say I was Johnny Leefield and predicted the playoffs which he did right at the start of the season so full credit to Johnny but you suddenly thought well maybe it not it won't be the struggle that we all thought it was and Scunthorpe was such a magnificent afternoon with one H McCurdy getting a goal. And suddenly you thought, well, hang on a minute. This is a football club that might just be on the up rather than the down, which is the way we thought it might end. Yeah. And, and Andrew, I'll, I'll bring you in at this stage as well, because, I mean, obviously you you, you had a very, I mean, obviously you, you had sort of co-commentators and, and, and access to players to a degree um, mm. that COVID didn't allow us mere mortals in the stands to enjoy. But um 
it was a pretty soul-sucking, lonely season for you, wasn't it, to come off of and, and come into. And off the back of a summer of, I mean, the most bizarre online um, court hearings where, you know, we had everything from, you know, fans uploading pornography and judges threatening to close things down and, you know, severe warnings being threatened to people that were disrupting proceedings. Suddenly we found ourselves in a sunbaked afternoon in Scunthorpe, as, as Vic said, with, our, with, you know, the likes of club hero Anthony Grant back in the mix. Um, you know, as Tyler said, rumours of, of, of big signings coming in. Ben Gladwin returning to the club, which gave everybody a bit of a lift. Um, what was going through your mind as the man that was going to pick up the mic, Andrew, at that point? Um, I, I think I thought even, even sort of fairly late on, just because the pre-season was so kind of constricted, um, you know, Ben, ben Gladwin was coming in. Um, I was literally, I think, for that last week, kind of having to check who's, you know, um, do research on the new signings every day. I think Ryan East was announced like, on the morning of the Scunthorpe game and things like that. So it was, it's slowly kind of built up to, are we going to have a team? Yes. Um, are we going to have a squad? Well, maybe. Um, but I still, I think my thoughts when it was starting was, we're still going to have to like smile a fair bit and grit our teeth and have to suck up losing at Sutton and, and maybe, you know, sort of thing, things like that. Take, take a beating at Barrow and, and just deal with it because it's where we are and get through the season. And um, it just gradually got better. But, but no, the, you know, the season before was enough to suck the enthusiasm out of anyone, no matter how, how kind of insane, really. And you've still, you've still got a, a unproven manager coming in who... Um, do you remember? You know, I had one um, very impressive spell at Bristol Rovers, which you got the feeling doing a bit of reading was more complicated than than perhaps it might look at first glance. But there, were, there was still a lot of kind of imponderables, even I think when the when the curtain went up. So, so Andrew, we'll I'll, I'll stick with you for the time being on this because clearly, as as the season has sort of come to its natural conclusion, and and Scunthorpe have have ended up being the whipping boys. I mean, I don't think anybody at the very start of the season foresaw that they would be as, as god-awful as they ended up being, um, which is a, a terrible thing to say for a club that's got such a rich football league heritage. But on reflection, we couldn't have asked for a better start, could we, in terms of both the opposition uh, and the nature of performance. And uh, from my perspective, um, it was about, you know, we, we got off. I mean, I literally thought it was a miracle. I could not believe the nature of the performance that we put in, the goals that we scored and the way that we dominated. And like I said, history's not been kind this season to Scunthorpe. But it, it ended up being the perfect uh, sort of jumping off point for us, didn't it? It, it? Yeah, it did. It did as that happens. I think I think we sort of went up there at the start looking at them and saying they're on they're under embargo they'd finished the previous season pretty poorly so this might this might be an okay game to get something but yeah the way the way Swindon kind of came through after going goal down was was excellent and it there, were, there was just a lot to recommend it because it was the first time fans were back and me I'd sort of it sounds ridiculous that realized quite how much I've missed them you'd sort of acclimatized doing the commentary or just being in there to being empty grounds empty grounds had felt like normal almost without ever being normal if you see what i mean so you got that there was a lot of you know there was a lot of like healthy emotion and there's a really good turnout and then to to go and and then to go and win just was a, a massive lift for everyone i'm and i have picked it as one of the whole scumfoot game i think the third goal when everyone knew it was safe i think is is sort of one of my definite moments of the season because it's like we're here we're alive there's a team there's a team that might actually do a little bit better 
than we thought. And, you know, we've got to the start of the season. We've got some sort of squad. We've got some sort of chance of, of making a decent fist of it and um, having a good season. I must admit, part of me driving back thought, blimey, Scunthorpe weren't very good. I wonder if we're really going to need those three points to avoid the drop. But um, certainly did. And we remotely didn't. Well, and then obviously we, we move on to Carlisle. Now, the... the... The, the the Carlisle fixture had a, a, a very sort of special place in 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 my heart, and it was it'll be something that I remember for a very long time. Um, mainly, I probably would have felt a, a bit more like this for um, for the Peterborough preseason friendly had it not taken me seven hours to uh, navigate the M4 and the associated road closures on my route round to, um, uh, to which meant I ended up missing half the game, unfortunately. But there was a certain magic in the air against Carlisle, and Ty, I'll, I'll take your um, I'll take your view on on Carlisle because. I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I stood there and got kind of a little bit overcome by emotion. That I think there were a few things that that really hit me quite hard. Uh, just as the you know as we were preparing and the team was coming out, the town end started roaring. There was the the feeling that we were back. That this feeling that after you know a really long period of all being trapped in our homes, that we were all back together. There was a kind of collective relief that life was starting to get back to normal, which um, it kind of was, I think, relating to Swindon Town on the basis that, of course, it's our lovely football club and we're all back there together. But for me, being at Swindon, as abnormal as following our football club can feel from time to time, is is normality to me. It's, it is my, my big major passion outside of my own family. And to finally be back there in the stand was quite an emotional experience. Um, and then... Obviously, um, you know the, the boys come out. That you know the pl- the place kind of erupts. So I mean, well, it wasn't the hugest crowd for the start of the season, but equally, it wasn't wasn't shameful versus previous seasons. What was going through your mind at that stage, Ty? Yeah, it's sort of the same as you. I, I wouldn't say I was as emotional as, as you sound like you were. Um, but yeah, just the, the fact that we were all back after what had been a horrid, horrid spell for everyone, and and seeing. Seeing what looked like a, a pretty strong team taken to the field, obviously that was Louis Reed's debut. So you were thinking, all right, we, we've got a player on our hands here, and and then we go a goal goal behind, which is a bit of a bastard. But it was just the way that everyone still sort of it was a bit like later in the season with Forest Green, really the way everyone just stuck with the team even when it was going to shit a bit. So I I I thought Carlisle was was lovely and. If if you could do it all over again, I think I'd do Carlisle all over again and not change a thing. And, and Vic, what what could, what were your reflections? I mean, again, as the elder statesman of our group, and you know, with the longest t- sort of tenure supporting our football club, um, do, do you have any recollections of of how it felt to you being back there for? Um, I mean, Carlisle, irrespective of Carlisle, just being back at the county ground at that juncture. Well, it's lovely. I mean, we, we'd had the Peterborough game and, you know, we'd managed to battle through the traffic up from Devon as well. So it was pretty horrendous getting to these early games. It always is at, at the beginning and the end of the season. But you, you got there and, and I remember we went to the cricket club and a friend of ours scores for Marlborough Cricket Club and they were playing at the cricket ground. So we went across and saw him and, and watched a bit of cricket beforehand. But there was this lovely sort of early season buzz about the place. And as Tyler said, you know, we'd had a year of... And Andrew had had this awful year of travelling around doing football matches with nobody in the ground. I'd done a couple of commentaries last season when 
you know, it was awful, uh, quite frankly. Um, but you um, you got there on that Saturday and it was a lovely atmosphere. The sun was shining. It was a perfect first home game of the season. The result wasn't great, but you just thought, hey, hang on. We'd had the afternoon at Scunthorpe, which I thoroughly enjoyed. There's that lovely pub not far from Scunthorpe's ground where loads of town fans are in it. Fabulous atmosphere. We'd all enjoyed that afternoon. OK, Carlisle game was a bit of a letdown, but we were back and you just thought, Okay, if this is where it's going to go, we've got a club, we're back watching football, the sun is shining. Do you know what? It's not the end of the world, is it? We get beat by Carlisle at home. It's happened before. You might remember Richie Wallen's first game was against Carlisle. We got stuffed 4-0, I think, that day. So, you know, it was one of those, okay, we'll take the defeat and we'll move on and, and move on to the next game. And away we went. Yeah, and Andrew, I mean, Tyler's, Tyler's mentioned a certain Louis Reed, who's ended up being arguably our most influential player this season, or certainly um, in the top three most influential players at Swindon this season. And just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about him, because um, I don't mind telling you, I tried to articulate this very badly to Louis on two occasions last week, where I, I sort of said to him that the emotions of, of signing set of circumstances, because... Um, Louis, Louis, for me, in many ways, it was a little bit like when we signed Anthony Grant. It sort of felt like an embarrassment of riches in that you knew this guy had a reputation. You knew he was a decent footballer. Um, you knew that you were signing somebody with, with, with super ability. But at the same time, you're like, how, how have we ended up getting hold of him? You know, what, what were your, um, what, what, obviously you do your prep, Andrew. Um, what were your recollections of, of, of sort of the Louis Reed signing? And did you have any inclination at that point in time where you were doing your prep that you would end up being as Um, no, oh, sorry, no, no, I, I didn't, I didn't think I was a certainly be quite the player he was. I mean, obviously you sort of looked at his, his kind of CV and he'd done, He'd been part of the, the sort of piece of the squad that had gone up from League One. So even though he didn't play regularly, you're kind of thinking that's that's interesting. Someone's gone from you know top of League One to quote bottom of League Two. So that that sort of stood that kind of stood out. But um, yeah, it was just, it was just thought there's a, there's a very useful, experienced player with a bit of ability who's you know decided to come here because um, Richie Richie Wellen said. I think he said when he was down for the the Man City, the Man City Cup tie, working for really Manchester. He said he he said he'd had Louis Reed on trial at Doncaster and he wanted to sign him. And you know the the fact that he'd been on trial at Doncaster and then he turns down Doncaster in League One to come to Swindon. Both both of those uh both of those get the the sort of eyebrows and antennae going. You think that's that's interesting. We might be in a much better place than we thought. Yeah, indeed. Now, Tyler, I mean, I mean, you know, to to go back over my point about Anthony Grant, you remember when we signed Anthony Grant? Um, no, clearly, no doubting his. I didn't have the feeling that he would go on to become the kind of colossus that he came on to, that he turned into the championship winning season, and and into, indeed his ability to be able to sort of you know, galvanise the squad. Um, if you get my um, if you get my drift, you and I have talked about this in relation to sort of Louis Reed as well. So I'm, I, I obviously we we were still a little unfamiliar as the system that we were going to play. I, I found myself just just a little bit kind of kind of baffled by it all. I didn't really know enough about him. Um, but I mean, obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, you seem to be kind of pretty switched on to Louis Reed from the offset, if I recall. 
Yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as I saw that that we'd signed him, I couldn't quite believe it. I know I know the gen general reaction from everyone was like, "How have we got him?" But for me, it was more, "How have we got him?" But this is the best signing we'll make all summer, even like better than what what everyone thought Johnny would be. I thought Louis is just next level. Like whenever you saw him saw him play, he'd just get on the ball, dictate from deep against you. And then you watch him do it for us and you're like, right, give this guy a chance to control the game and, and he'll set the tempo to whatever he wants it to be. And as soon as, soon as he was signed and as soon as you could start seeing sort of the, the style that we were going to try and play of, of this, what's ended up being lovely to watch, especially toward toward the later stage of the season, this, this heavily possession-based sort of style of play, it's... It's exactly what really suits, and it's the main reason I think, like moving forward, if if he leaves, it's probably a daft decision in my eyes because you can't guarantee that everywhere you go is going to play the style that is near enough made for him. Yeah, see, we we built. And please correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm sure that it was the Carlisle game where Johnny Williams' signing was was announced, and Johnny was being uh, paraded around the um, uh, in front of the Don Rogers, in front of the Arkles, in front of the town. Apologies, guys, just having a couple of technical issues. Just looking to bring the guys all back online now. Uh, Vic, Andrew, have you got me loud and clear? Yes, yeah, I've got you as well. Yes, yes, yes. Not. Sorry, guys, not quite sure what's happened there. I assure you my tech is all tickety-boo. Um, so, anyway, I, I, I'm not sure where we got up to, guys, before everything started going a bit squiffy. But I just started mentioning, we talked about Johnny Williams. And um, and I'm sure it was Carlisle. But please, it's been a long season, so correct me if I'm wrong. But Johnny Williams being paraded in front of the town. And Vic, you told that brilliant story about falling off your chair and um, a blow-your-socks-off signing, as it was once referred to in the Paolo Di Canio era. But um, the thing that really struck me that day about Johnny was the size of the smile on his face and how delighted he appeared to be to be playing for Swindon Town Football Club or coming to Swindon Town Football Club. I mean, he was absolutely buzzing, wasn't he? Yeah, it was that game when he was paraded around and, and the crowd was singing his name and there was that wonderful feel-good factor. And he, I mean, the point is, picture this, I'm in the middle of Exeter, sat by the quay having a pizza and, and, and all the people that I play football were, were going and they all support sort of Tottenham and Liverpool and Man United and all this kind of stuff. And they're all going, you signed Johnny Williams? And I was going, yeah, we have. And, you know, it was that sort of feeling. And when he was paraded around the pitch, you're thinking, hang on a minute, this is a man I've seen play for Wales, goodness so many times, you know, and it was a great moment. And I think, to me, that kind of summed up the renaissance of the club, really, in a way. And I've got to say, one of the, one of the great moments of last week's dinner, which I was very fortunate enough to host, was at the end, Johnny Williams came up, was, shook my hand, said, thank you. And I just thought, do you know what? He needn't have done that, but that kind of sums him up for me. What a tremendous bloke he is. And I know, he, you know, maybe sometimes he's fallen a little bit short of what we expect. But my goodness, um, when we spoke uh, to Ali Willits on Monday on the uh, about how he gets treated, he she said that he comes off black and blue. He gets kicked to high heaven. And I think we don't know that, do we? We don't, we don't see that on a pitch because we're not there. We're not playing. But 
you know, he puts that amount of effort in and I, I can't hear a, a word against Johnny Williams. I think he's been cracking and what a great signing he's been. And to me, that was the renaissance of the club. We've we've got somebody like Johnny Williams to sign for us, along with Louis Reed, along with Jack Payne staying, along with Dion Conroy staying. You know, all these people, Ben Gladwin's come back. Fabulous. That to me was the moment when I thought, yeah, this is back. We're back at football and let's just enjoy it. Now, now, Vic. For me, what Johnny Williams represented, and you know, I, you know, want to sort of, you know, get your views on this. But it, it very much made me feel like the club had reconnected with its soul, and 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 one of the reasons for that is Johnny Williams' signing very much reminded me of the glory days under Hoddle and Ardiles and Lou Macari when we, and lesser so Lou, but certainly in relation to Ozzy and Glenn when we started seeing players turning up at the county grounds that, that genuinely kind of put stars in your eyes and got your imagination going. And I, I very quickly started drawing comparisons to a recent guest on the Saturn Broadbent Lounge with Mickey Hazard. Mm. And when we signed a player that had won the UEFA Cup for Tottenham, you know, had played in the upper echelons, had unrivaled pedigree, and, and crucially was known to be in one of football's real good guys. That It, it really kind of seemed like that's the sort of signing that if you were a Swindon Town fan in the stands, that we, we kind of got spoilt with back then, but we also kind of took for granted, like that is the, the ilk of player that, that our club should be signing. What, what, do, you, um, do you get my drift, Vic, when I, when I say that? Oh, goodness me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's be, let's not forget this. I mean, under Aussie, we signed a, a World Cup finalist in uh, uh, Nesta Lorenzo. You know, I, I just remember doing an interview with him once and, saying, you know, was Ozzy Ardiles a big influence in you coming to the county ground? It's, the, it's arguably the most stupid question I've ever asked. But that was the sort of player we were getting, you know, World Cup player. Um, Mickey Hazard coming under Tottenham, as you said, uh, and under uh, Glenn Hoddle. I mean, Tony Galvin was another one, wasn't he? People like that. You know, we were getting great signings coming to the club. And, you know, Johnny Williams was definitely of that ilk because, you know, he's a Welsh international, proven Welsh international Ben Garner, of course, he knew from his Crystal Palace days, which was a big factor in him coming. And I think he's enjoyed it. I mean, he does play with a smile on his face. And I think, you know, people are starting turning up with beards, aren't they? And, and things like that. And and it's lovely to have that sort of folk hero feel about a footballer, which, you know, let's be honest, in the last 12 months, because we couldn't go to football and the miserable afternoons we spent in front of those computers, um, not miserable because we're listening to Andrew, of course, but you know, watching those pictures with a little white circle going around in the middle when it was all breaking up and the joy of football was encapsulated in that moment when Johnny Williams was parading around the pitch. Yeah, and so Andrew, obviously, again, go back to you and your prep. I mean, surely your notes go out the window when you sign a player of the ilk of Johnny Williams. I mean, obviously, we've got Glenn, Ben Gladwin in the bag at that stage, which in itself, I thought, well, that's going to be our marquee signing. I couldn't for in a million years have expected us to have picked up Johnny Williams, given, you know, obviously recent appearances on the international stage and, um, all right, OK, not many minutes under his belt in terms of the the glare of, of, of you know, of the, of the football world on that major tournament. But nonetheless, it was still him. Um, what? How, how did that affect your, your pre-match prep? Yeah, no, well, no, I was, I was, I was very surprised. Not, not only because, you know, he comes, he comes with the reputation, he comes with those games at the higher level, but the esteem with which he seems to be held at his former clubs like Palace, I think he's quite popular at but Ipswich as well indicates, you know, indicates a good guy and a good player because you know you don't you don't get that sort of cult status without being either of those. So yeah, that was a that was a real sort of good surprise, and it was kind of um, 
yep, we're we're going up a level here. But we've I think we've done that to a, a bit of an extent. Perhaps now we can look back a little bit more than we realised. We found um, players to, to some extent. I know Jack Payne was already there, but people who've just kind of perhaps lost not lost their way a little bit, but lost a little bit of the I think just the joy of playing. And we've we've given them that that kind of opportunity and. And you know people like Mandela Egbo, he's not played much, and that chance, that chance to play, and you know kind of revive, revive their, their almost sort of joie de vivre, almost their kind of enthusiasm for the game, because Johnny Williams hasn't played this many games in a in a season for for goodness knows how long. Yeah, indeed. And Ty, I mean, I'll, I'll get you to you know kind of pitch in on this part. We um we obviously were very lucky that the club invited us in to host uh, to present our Sir Tom Broadbent Lounge Awards last week. And so as a consequence of that, we ended up sort of spending a, a good portion of time with with Johnny on Tuesday night. And then again, in and around all the players on Wednesday night at the Supporters Club event. Um, so I obviously, um, reflections on Johnny Williams as a personality, um, he certainly didn't disappoint, did he? No, not at all. It, he's definitely been well media trained, like uh, I think it was Jay who pointed it out. Definitely very well media trained, but. Just, just when he's like come into the room, obviously the first thing he does is is come to shake mine, yours, and Archer's hand rather than rather than like saying hello to his mates who who were obviously already in there. So you thought it, he, he's definitely sort of like the model professional and clearly just a nice guy because he was one of the ones who sort of stuck around for a little bit afterwards and and just had a talk with us rather than jetting off like like some did. But admittedly. That, that they had a movie to get to, that they'd book tickets for. So, fair enough to them. Yeah, an all-round good egg bow, as you might like to say. A genuinely nice guy. And, and we will reflect on some, some some of the other conversations that we had with the guys, both on and off mic, later in the show. Um, but nonetheless, um, yeah, as a, as, a, as a consequence of being around the players, what has really struck me is that, that kind of... The, the mentality, the band of brothers, sort of a certain steady determination. Um, it was it's manna from heaven to to consume that as a as a, as a fan of, of of Swindon Town. So, well, look, we've got the first couple of games sort of under our belt. We've had a chat about Scunny, we've had a chat about Carlo, we've had a chat about some of the some of the big signings. I think at this stage, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one of you good gentlemen to reflect on their homework. And Vic, no better person to start with than you. So to, just as a reminder, we said at the start of the show, a little bit of homework for all four of us. We, we, we jotted down our top five loves and hates of this season. So um, Vic, take, take, take us through your top five loves of this season. Well, if you've got them in front of you, I'd be very grateful because because I'm not in my usual place. I don't have those notes, but I, uh, you have them, I hope. Do you in front of you? Yes, indeed, I do. Just bear with me, Vic. So, go on. <laughs> yes. Your your top your top five. Uh, right. Okay. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Uh, da, 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 da. Well, well, the first one I think was being back at football. I think um, we've kind of covered that with the joy of being back at Scunthorpe and then the county ground, and then you know it goes hand in hand with having a football club. I think those were the top two. Um, you know, after the misery of last season and the and the um, you know what we didn't know about in the summer. And I remember doing all those panels in the summer with with people, the wonderful people from the trust, explaining what the court cases were meaning, all that kind of thing, and you know what the judgment was likely to be. But the joy of having a football club and then being back in grounds again, those were the top two, I think, that I put forward. 
Yes, you did indeed. You had the joy of being back at football and some of which obviously we've talked about in detail and the, and the club surviving as well. I mean, OK, Vic, let's let's spend a little bit of time talking about the club surviving because you'll, you'll obviously have memories, as I do, of that very um, sort, of, uh, sort of cold, miserable night in Brentford uh, many mm. years prior. Um, in the early 2000s when, you know, the rumour was the club was going to go to the wall within 24 hours. But, I mean, this really was something very, very different to that, wasn't it? I mean, this this involved court cases. This involved ownership, massive ownership issues. Um, you know, the... The, the, the fact that we had buyers lined up, but the legality around whether or not these guys could take over. We had uh, a, an incumbent that was saying, look, you know, literally, we uh, we have not got a penny. And crucially, unlike the Brentford game, we didn't even have a squad, did we? So, um, I mean, what you know, to, to just talk me through it, Vic. I mean, how how, how desperate, you know, d- d- well, say desperate, let's flip it. It's the, the, the opposite of that. How delighted were you to see us emerge out of that? And indeed, if you're going to talk desperation, how close did you think we were to going pop? Ooh, very good question. Uh, I mean, you know, speaking to people from the trust, they were always kind of confident that we wouldn't. And I, I kind of put great store in that. And I just thought, you know, that moment at Supermarine when Clem Morfuni walked around the ground. I mean, I think he was as bemused as everybody else, really, because... You know, the blokes come from Australia. There was a rumour that he hadn't come over to begin with, that he wasn't in the country. And then when you get to Supermarine and see that he's on the list of people who's coming to the game, you kind of think, well, he must be here then, you know. And then he does. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a bit of light at the end of that very long, dark tunnel of COVID and the possible collapse of the football club. I mean, I would say probably... If you cast your mind back to the championship season, we had four or five home games left to come, didn't we? Where, you know, we'd re-signed uh, Doyle. Uh, Yates was there. He'd re-sign or come back on loan. And and we were looking forward to four or five home games of, of five-figure-plus crowds, I think. And financially, that must have put a big hole in the football club. Um, and so there we were. We were on the precipice and um, or on the brink, as it was famously said. Um, but I kind of always thought in the back of my mind, well, if the trust guys are quite confident, then I'm going to sort of stick by how they're feeling. And, you know, bless them, they used to come on after these court cases and explain things in great detail. Whereas, you know, a a sort of half a brain like me, I had no idea what was going on. But, you know, I I kind of always thought that this wouldn't go under. And And if it went under and we had to start again in tier nine or whatever it is, then so be it. You know, you'd still go and watch them, whatever they played in. Look at Macclesfield. They're getting crowds of 4,000, aren't they, in their particular league this season? So I kind of always thought in the back of my mind that we would survive, and thankfully we did. Yeah, and we do- we doth our cap um, to the Trust um, for their role in the summer because, I mean, I whilst I, I I did feel that we were at the cliff's edge, sort of staring into an abyss, I think it was the the flow of information and almost some, I don't want to call it fact-checking, but the, the fact that they pulled the kind of key points out of each of those court hearings and, and were very quick to sort of, you know, bring those to the table and, and explain some of the, um, explain away some of the peril 
um, but also kind of give us a feel that there was a bit of a, a bit of a roadmap going forward. I mean, Tyler, you you followed the, the you know the progress of of the court case. We were all on a WhatsApp group together at the time, and you followed the um, you know the progress of the court cases. I mean, what did it what did it mean to you as a younger fan um, to be having a lot of the kind of legal jargon broken down for you? Um, you know, a lot of the kind of claims and counterclaims explained to you and fact checked by by that in by that entity that was the trust. I mean. It, it was helpful that they were sort of there to guide someone like me who who didn't really have a clue what 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 most of it meant. It, it was nice to have that sort of help and guiding me through it all. But I think just the more you heard, it it was sort sort of like Vic mentioned, like, like a confidence from the trust all the way through that no matter what, we were going to come out of it fine. It, it, if if not, maybe at a lower level, but on the whole, we'd have still been a club and we'd have still been rock and rolling no matter what. Yeah, and uh, and I think the, the one thing that, I mean, I'll take reflections from both of you on this, but because the, the, the one thing that really, really sort of blew my socks off was watching the surge in membership to the official supporters club, to the trust. You, you had you had fans coming out. I think the the final number. I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, Vic, because you you may well recall it. But we we suddenly we we had enough numbers that enabled the defence team to essentially or empowered the defence team in that courtroom environment, didn't it? To 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 actually say, well, hang on a second. Like this is the you know the will of the fans is this, and the will of the fans is currently backed up by X number X number of thousand supporters that all came together. I mean, it's all part of a big groundswell of support and re-engagement of Swindon Town fans behind, you know, this this something new that we all craved for. I think the thing is what people forget about football clubs is, uh, I, I was dealing with a football club not far from where I am now once, who was on the brink of going in, well, was in administration. And I, and I remember speaking to the administrator, a chap called Trevor Frid, who was really, really helpful to me in those days. And he said... <sighs> What people forget is if this was a football, if this wasn't a football club and it was just a business, we'd have taken it out the back and shot it a long time ago. And I, <laughs> and, I, and I think what people forget is football clubs have these things called fans, which there's an incredible emotional attachment to a football club. And woe betide anybody who tries to stop that emotional connection. And I think what was shown during last summer was that incredible emotional connection that we all have to this thing called Swindon Town. I mean, I don't know why. It's bonkers, isn't it? You know, why do I travel from Exeter to Carlisle on a Saturday, you know, leaving at five o'clock in the morning to get there? What What is that about? You know, it's just this incredible emotional attachment to a football club. And I think what people forget sometimes is, you know, it's very easy to run away with, with saying that football's a bit detached from its fans. But what we've seen this season and I really hope it continues, is this connection between the football club and the supporters. It does need a bit more work, I have to say. But, you know, the likes of Clem and Rob Angus and Danny Lee and all the incredible staff that work for nothing behind the scenes, they've done an amazing job. And, and you know, one of my bugbears is abuse. And I, and I know we're going to talk about this later, but you know, to think that staff are getting abuse over these tickets for Port Vale, what on earth are you doing? You know, these people have worked tirelessly to get this football club back off the ground. And that's what we've got, a football club. Listen, I'll, I'll reflect on... Um... 
there was a lovely moment on Tuesday night during our awards ceremony, right at the start of our awards ceremony, I think it was, when all the guys had essentially come into the room and I was I was explaining to them how sort of battle weary. So we were talking about the, I think it was, we were talking about fans in the ground and the creative of atmosphere. And whilst we had, you know, a five figure crowd, like the atmosphere may have been a little bit sort of stunted. And the, the thing that really struck me, I mean, I've been lucky enough that I had a, a very long career um, working in and around footballers um, prior to what I'm, what I'm up to now. And I always found whenever you talk to footballers about football, there's always, or football fans in particular, there's always a kind of degree of disengagement or you know, just, yeah, I'm not really interested. Fans are a necessary evil. Now, obviously, I think COVID has woken a lot of footballers up to the importance of fans, where they were maybe taking us a little bit for granted. But one thing I noticed was every single one of the lads in that room, so that was Rob Hunt, Harry McCurdy, Johnny, uh, Johnny Williams, uh, Jack Payne, Louis Reed and Josh Davison all really lent in when I explained how, you know, Swindon Town fans, we have really been through the ringer over the last sort of 30 odd years. And and as a consequence, you know, I do believe that, you know, there are some scars that the, that the, that the club are still dealing with. But nonetheless, some of the clever, some of the clever, I mean, I think Harry, Harry McCurdy's um, sort of calling out the fans was absolutely inspired. And it sort of gave us the little jolt that we needed as well. But, um, I mean, you included, um, you know, the, the, the unity, Vic, you included that on your, on your list of five likes, the, the unity between the club and the fans as being, as being your top three. I mean, the, the atmosphere, Barrow, Forest Green, Warsaw, is, is atmosphere that I haven't seen consistently in league games at Swindon Town for quite some time. I mean, would you agree? Oh, totally. And and let's put in the away games as well, like the Bradford City and, you know, um, Carlisle and Hartlepool and places like that. You know, there, there is an atmosphere back. You know, we're taking fans. You know, we're, we're enjoying the football again. All right, sometimes we have a groan at home when we don't do so well, but... You know, those atmosphere, Forest Green, I mean, it's incredible. And I know, you know, we'll talk about moments of the season later on, but I, I still say, do you know, that moment when we scored that goal against Manchester City, if you bottled that moment and you sold it in the club shop, you'd make a fortune, wouldn't you? How, how could you beat that moment? It's extraordinary. And, you know, to think back in July that we'd have a moment like that, I think everybody would have bitten your hand off. I mean, there is that now that connection. The club, as I said, still needs to do a bit more on that. But I think they're going in the right direction. They've had so much to deal with. And Andrew, no doubt, will will point to that. But they've had so much to deal with. There's a lot of work to be done. But uh, as I said, those people working behind the scenes tirelessly to keep this football club going deserve enormous credit. And sometimes, you know, Vicky in the shop and Matthew, who works behind the scenes in the ground, people like that, you know, they really do deserve our, our, our thanks for what they did in the summer. Yeah, and I mean that you know the rights and wrongs of entering the playing space at the final whistle on Saturday. Mm, you mentioned mm. Man City, Vic, but I thought I couldn't help but sense there was there was a kind of cathartic release on Saturday as well. In the I don't think anybody that kind of entered the playing field did so on the basis that you know look how clever we are, look what we've achieved. You know it, it, there was a little bit of Kesarasa, but it, it wasn't about that. There was a there was almost like a, a kind of celebration of look. This incredible season has come to this kind of culmination with the most incredible thumping away, complete away victory. And and there was this huge kind of swell and release of that. I mean, Andrew, bring you in at this stage. Obviously, up in the up in the commentary box, you certainly enjoyed the Man City goal, didn't you? 
Um, yeah, yeah, no, that as uh, Vix put it, that's per- perfectly really. That that felt like the payback for all the kind of um, all the work that fans and people behind the scenes did in you know in the summer to make sure that you know make sure that things stayed afloat. I mean, I mean, for example, I, I certainly don't know everything that they've had to deal with behind the scenes, but I think one small thing I gathered was um, they didn't even have mowers to mow the pitch at one point, or they'd stop pay- they'd stop paying for those. That was that was how kind of cut back down to the bone a bit that they could, you know they couldn't even prepare the pitch properly. Yeah, for a, new, for a new season. So to so to come from that, as we've discussed, to get to get to a moment like that, where you know where it was good, you know it's a great moment. They were never going to beat Man City, which was fine. Man City brought a incredibly strong team, which doesn't really happen in the the FA Cup as well. But yeah, it was just that was just like yeah we've yeah we've sweated, we've earned that. There's a bit of there's a bit of karma with you, and um, a curdy delivered absolutely. Now, Vic, bring you bring you back to your list at number four. You have said the ach- achievements this season beyond our wildest dreams. Bring that alive for me, Vic. Well, let's go back then to pre-season and Melcham on a Friday night. Beautiful evening, I have to say, uh, battling against the traffic to get there, um, but got there eventually. And uh, I think there were four or five first-teamers who didn't even have a kit. It was... Uh, I think it was a nil-nil. I can't remember now, but um, you know, it was a it was an evening when we're all sort of bemused and thinking, well, what's going to happen? I mean, you know, when I did the panels right back at the start of the season, we were all saying, if we finish above the dotted line, we'll be really grateful. Except Johnny Willeyfield, who said we'll be in the playoffs. And hey, hands up, mate, you've done it. Um, you know, and then here we are in the playoffs, which is an extraordinary achievement. And and the one frustration, and I know this is another thing we'll talk about, you know, if you win two more games at home, you'd have gone up. Two or three more games at home in this miserable sort of run of home form. You know, think back to Eastern, Newport at home, Lake Orient at home, which you've touched on before. You know, one, two or three of those home matches and we wouldn't have to worry about the playoffs. Now, how extraordinary would that be? And I get the the pitch invasion on Saturday. I do understand that. But I'm also kind of of the point where, and Harry McCurdy made the signal, didn't he? Three more games. Well, technically there's two more and possibly another one. The job isn't done yet. And I think that's what the players feel. The job isn't done yet. So, okay, have a good time. Enjoy being in the playoffs. But there's a lot more to do. The season effectively starts on Sunday, doesn't it? But if you'd have said that back in July, we'd be in the playoffs with a chance of going up. Would you believe that? Of course you wouldn't. Extraordinary season. It, it is incredible, Vic. And, and, and I'll tell you what's interesting as well. You know, Harry going around berating everyone and raising the three fingers up and, 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 and you know, really, really getting stuck. And, and he wasn't the only one. You know, Mildy got very, very animated. There were various members of the first team that were a little bit sort of standoffish. It, it, it sort of struck me that, do you know what? None of the playing staff actually feel like you know that they are that they have been sort of you know siege mentality hard done by you know these guys are tuned in mm. to winning the playoffs aren't they these guys are you know showing a certain sort of champion mentality and i think the one thing the last few weeks have shown them is that we are all together now pushing in that particular direction so i mean if you had told me that i would be feeling the way i feel about the current playing squad and about our chances over two legs against vale um yeah like you vic i i would have said you're having a laugh i genuinely laughed out loud when johnny leefield said 
we are going to get to the playoffs. And as you say, you know, hats off to him. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I just couldn't see it. I mean, Ty, you're, you're, um, you know, you're, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a glass half full kind of character, depending on what mood I catch you in. You can be, you can be pragmatic or really super confident. Um, if you, if you kind of rewind to the start of the season, um, even with your kind of knowledge of the kind of technicians we're bringing in, did you honestly believe we had a hope in the, you know, of of, of reaching the playoffs? Or again, were you very much of mid table uh, mid table um, security? Uh, I, I thought we'd be in with a shout of the playoffs, but I thought we'd just miss out because I didn't think we we sort of had had enough depth with, with us. And at times that that sort of has been true, but yeah, I I didn't I didn't think we, we'd. Definitely get proud. So I just thought we'd we'd be able to have have a sort of scrap for it, and and it might go down to the final day. Which, to be fair, it's it's sort it sort of did go down to the final day in the end. And I think if if we'd have just missed out, I, I wouldn't have been surprised. But in the end, it it was definitely a, mu- a much more impressive season, and and than what I thought I thought we'd have had. And most years, to be fair, the amount of points we'd got we, we'd probably be be in the automatics anyway it's just a really strange season where somehow 75 76 points it isn't isn't enough for automatic promotion yeah i mean truly bonkers season um in terms of the performance of all the other sides i mean literally it's been you you, you the form guy goes kind of goes out the window doesn't it and at one point even with forest green romping away of it i think we're all expecting their blip but um i mean at the end of the day they came very 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 close to throwing the title away but um Okay, so I mean, Andrew, from 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 your perspective, um, you know, Vic's point about achievement beyond beyond these wildest dreams. At what point of the season did you start from the commentary box to get, start getting a feeling that hang on a second, like this, like this is on? Because obviously, the the results at the start of the season, we started seeing that sort of iffy home form quite early. But yet we had a we had really good away result against Salford that kind of lifted everybody's spirits. Um, did you was there anything that you were seeing from some of the early performances that gave you a flavour that hang on there's going to, there's going to be more to this than mid mid table uh, security? Yeah, I think there are there are a few of the sort of early games. If I if I look back, I think they are largely away games, which perhaps is no is no great surprise. And we touched on you touched on Salford then, and that that probably was the first one because it. It was we were still sort of getting used to the the kind of um, what Ghana wanted to do football wise and how they were going to play, uh, but they also show they also showed a, a nice dose of the dark arts early on to sort of finish that finish that game off. They rode their luck a bit, you know, at the start, but that was good. Uh, beating Bristol Rovers so comfortably um, was you know kind of impressive, even though Bristol Rovers were on a terrible run, and then taking out Forest Green when you know. There was the whole the whole sort of farrago about who's on international duty. Are we going to have enough players? Uh, do we want to postpone this or not? No, we'll go there. We're fine, and we'll beat the league leaders, and we'll do it. We'll do it quite comfortably. So I, th- I think I think though sort of spell of early results, you are you're suddenly definitely revising your your kind of assessment of where the team can go at, at that point. There are, there are still kind of things you think about about. Are they going to slow down in the end because of the lack of pre-season? Are they going to get hit by injuries? But um, even sort of at that stage, you're, you know, I, I think I relaxed pretty quickly about are we going to be in a relegation scrap or not? Let's put it like that. 
Yeah, and, and and Tyler kind of you know sort of touched on um, you know the, the if you if you were if you look at the the, the way that the season has, has finished now we talk about hindsight and and Vic's kind of touched on it as well but um, do you is is there a it's going to sound a bit of a silly silly question because really you would like it to have been at the start of the season but if you take on my point that I made to the lads on Tuesday night about our fan base being bruised and battered thirty years of hurt and all of that. Um, was was there a point where you kind of felt that you know what was it Forest Green at home where and Harry calling them out where you felt there's been a reawakening amongst the Swindon Town fan base and and do you kind of get a feeling that it's here to stay Andrew or do you feel it's just pure and simple sort of playoff anticipation and excitement do you, do you think our fans have been given the jolt that you know potentially will give the players a platform to to you know irrespective of what happens this season going into next year as well. Um, I would hope so, but I'm never quite sure. I think, I think the way everyone did kind of, um, you know, sort of, um, what can what can I say? You know, they, they did sort of kind of respond to what Harry McCurdy said, and it was kind of, you know, for that forest screen, it was like, right, we've all we've all got a job to we've all got a job to do here, and everyone everyone got involved. I think I think I sort of tweeted afterwards that you know everyone who is in that ground could feel like they played some part getting Swindon three points just in all the noise they made to help the team over the line when they were down to to 10 men so I th- I mean, you would hope if you go away from a game like that experiencing that you know having that having that feeling and you know when you really have sort of felt I, I would imagine for for everyone there that you know you were you were part of that you were not a spe- you were not just a spectator as it were that if you can do that and if you could lift the team you want to feel that again and you did to some extent Baron and my goodness, you did, you did at Walsall as well. So hopefully, it's a kind of um, it's a virtuous circle. But you know, it depends. Start with three home defeats next season, whatever division we're in, and I'm not, I'm not so sure it'll last. But you never, but you never know. But but these, yeah, these last games certainly have felt different. You would hope people would think that feel that feels good. We make a difference. I'd like some more of that. So, so Vic, as, as a regular in the Arkles, which is, is, I don't mean to be disparaging, it's, it's, it's known to be one of our quieter stands. You, and with, with your with your tenure of Swindon Town supporting under your belt, do you sense a kind of a, a, a reawakening and that there is a stirring amongst the fan base? We do our best. I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm of a certain age where I want to sit down, quite frankly, because I can't stand up for two hours anymore. So, I, you know, that's kind of it, really. But uh, yeah, there is. I mean, I, I think. You know, the one thing I'd say about Sunday is we have to be at it from the off, not just the players, but everybody. You know, we kind of, you know, and away from home, we know we'll get fantastic backing at Vale Park next Thursday. We know that, but we've got to do it on Sunday. And and 12 o'clock on a Sunday lunchtime is a funny old time, isn't it? It's a weird sort of, you know, what are we doing here? It's football at 12 o'clock on a Sunday. What? What? We've only just got up and read the paper. What's happening? But you've got to be right at it on Sunday. Everybody does. And I think the atmosphere against Forest Green in that last endless length of injury time was incredible. And, you know, I think Ali, when she was talking to us on Monday, said about the blisters that the players come off with after 10 minutes and eight minutes of injury time. You know, we, we're we willing them to keep going, not knowing what they're going through. And it's an extraordinary amount of effort that goes into it, especially when... You know, we were down to 10 men against Forest Green for half an hour, which is extraordinary. 
Um, you know, we, we have to do our bit on Sunday. I don't think there's any question about that. And I think the way the atmosphere is at the minute, I think we will. One thing I'd say about Saturday is it was interesting to watch Harry McCurdy at the end because, all right, he was telling people, go away, go away, get off the pitch, get off the pitch. But then it was like a seven-year-old came up and asked for a photograph. And do you know what? He took his photograph with him. And I thought that was a lovely moment for a young fan. Whereas he told the older fans to get off the pitch, but with a seven-year-old kid, he, he was willing to have his picture taken. I thought that said a lot, really. Yeah, you want know, yeah, to you want to bring younger fans on, and that was a great moment, and that's how you do it. Yeah, I, I totally concur. I think the other thing Ali was very um, Ali Willis was very very uh, eloquent in explaining is, or she she almost painted a picture as to how that crowd noise elevated mm. or elevates and drives on the players, like you said, you know, getting them through the pain barrier, because I think that's that's got to be part of it. I mean, anyone that's, you know, run or marched any kind of great, you know, great length where you've got that constant nagging agony on your heels, your toes, wherever it is, you know, you, you need to kind of dig deep and kind of battle through that, particularly when you're talking about professional athletes that are pelting around at a rate of knots. Um, but I mean, she went to great lengths to kind of illustrate just how well received that noise was and just what kind of a difference it had, uh, an impact on the players. And, and, and going back to your, you know, your man McCurdy, you know, fair play to him for, for calling everybody out because, you know, he, he, he basically laid down the gauntlet, didn't he? He said, look, yeah, appreciate it. It's kind of probably a bit six one after us and the other. And we've kind of got to all come together and meet in the middle and create something magical, which we, we clearly have. I mean, Ty, I'll put it to you sort of slightly more simply. Um, it's just more enjoyable with, when you're at the football making a racket, isn't it? Much more enjoyable. The, the more the more you give me a chance to shout, the more I'm enjoying myself, if I'm honest. I mean, uh, so some of the mates who, who stand in front of me at the football, poor Ben Woods, that is mainly. They hate it when when the opposition have a goal kick because I just start screaming for no apparent reason, um and and I've ended up really hurting his ear on multiple occasions this year. So the the more noise you make, the more fun you have, and if 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 making noise helps the players out as well, then then do it more. Just yeah, do so it more. be it. Well, Vic, I'm I'm, I'm going to just come back to the final item on your list because we've mentioned him a plenty over the last uh, 15 minutes or so. A certain Mr McCurdy sits right in there in your list of things you love this season. Now, again, bring that to life for me, Vic. I, I just, I, I remember going back to, let's go back to Weymouth, right? Uh, I know Andrew was there. Um, sunny afternoon in Weymouth. Had a lovely uh, sort of breakfast in the cafe, which is next to the ground to set us all up. Lovely. Got there. Saw this player on the pitch thinking, who's that? you know, that's different. What is that? You know, how is he? And I know he, he used a certain word to describe his game at the end of season dinner the other day, which I won't repeat now, but I think he was generally worried that the club might not uh, sign him on. And then uh, three days later, I think at Supermarine, he scored a goal. He rounded a keeper, slotted it into the back of the net, beautiful finish. And you thought, yeah, this is okay. Then he scores at Scunthorpe on the opening day. And suddenly you have this folk hero. And do you know what you need in football? You need folk heroes. Harry McCurdy is a folk hero. He made me, on Monday night, a 66-year-old man, wear a pair of sunglasses and a bucket hat on a panel. <laughs> I mean, who does that? You know, you know it's, it, it takes me back to when I used to walk up and down the stairs when Owen Doyle was here singing the, uh, the Ginger Palais song. You know, what, what is that about? Mm. Owen Doyle was a folk hero. Harry McCurdy is a folk hero. And... 
for this season, we must treasure him. And, you know, he, he has his faults. We all do. Everybody has their faults. But for this season, we have to treasure Harry McCurdy because he is extraordinary. 21 goals, brilliant finish on Saturday after a fantastic run by Mandela Egbo. And you just think, for this, this season, we've had an absolute duel in League Two. I've loved watching him play. He, he infuriates you. He makes you look in wonder. He's magical. He has that connection with the fans just for this season. And he's been extraordinary. And, you know, how many people want to go and watch Swindon because of Harry McCurdy? I would say there's quite a few because he is a great, great player this season, which we should all enjoy. Yeah, indeed, Vic. And both you and I, in the space of 24 hours, have been on the receiving end of um, of, of <laughs> Harry McCurdy's oral deliveries, You, as we enjoyed sort of describing to each other that on Wednesday night. But I think the thing that, that strikes me about Harry McCurdy, I think pre-season, when you saw those performances, what struck me, I thought, here we have got, uh, you know, someone that clearly on the pitch has got the potential to be an absolute maverick, score lots of goals. But then the minute he seemed to sort of start speaking... I thought to myself, hang on, this is going to be one of those pros that's so out of touch with, 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 you know, whether that's reality, call it what you will, but he's, he's going to cause us problems. That's, that's going to be a lot of fines, a lot of sendings off, a lot of dissent and so on and so forth. And as the season was unfolding, I, I kind of maintained that view and then something really magical happened. And that was, I met him outside the Arkles with Tyler and Ty, you'll recall that day. Well, I think we both, that was the first time we both met him and actually had a conversation with him. And he came across as being a really, really nice kid. And then, interestingly, I then fast forward to uh, last Tuesday night and our awards ceremony in the kit room. And it sort of struck me when, when Harry was doing what Harry does. Actually, everything he was saying was just so boldly honest and true. And I think... <laughs> Whether or not you enjoy the language that came with it or whether or not, you know, you agree with the way that he speaks as a professional footballer, it just struck me that this is a chap with, with no filter but just calls it as it is. I mean, Tyler, what's, um, again, you you know, you, you like me, you were very lucky to have that kind of contact with him. You'll recall probably meeting him outside the Arkles with us and you've, you've, you've seen him on various points over the course of the season. What's been your take on Harry McCurdy? When he first signed, I, I was very unimpressed because he, he seemed and sounded like, like a bit bit like you said a bit too unprofessional for it to have even been worth it but when you've seen what he can do on on the opening day and then the form he ended up kicking into you you, you couldn't help but think yeah all right it was worth it and like you say so, sometimes he, he can be a bit out of touch with with the language and and just sort of the, the way he carries himself, and it is, it definitely is at this point. So, sort of just, I wouldn't even say it's him being honest. It's just whatever's on his on his mind, he says it, and he doesn't sort of acknowledge he's saying it. But yeah, he, he he's an absolute character. Like Vic said, he is a cult hero down here, and I I don't think he's. He's like he wants to portray himself on on Instagram. Sometimes I think he's just quite a nice, a nice and and funny lad. Whenever we we've had had the chance to meet him, he he can be a little bit out of touch. But but then he is just uncharacteristically him. He he's he is who he is. You either like it or you don't. And 
I mean, he, he shit houses enough other people for, for us to enjoy it. So, yeah, and I, I'm all for it. Ty, my, my point about zero filter. I mean, I think I think that's kind of the you know the point really. My my fears. I I haven't really got a lot of time for kind of you know for Charlie Big Bananas in a Swindon Town football shirt, and I think it's very very easy to lazily sort of tap into that sort of train of thinking. I mean, Andrew, I bring you in at this stage because clearly, obviously, your your preparation for games is exhaustive, and you would have had to have done a lot of prep around Harry McCurdy. Um, which would no doubt have been involved sort of talking to um, your counterparts up and down the country, you know, your Carlisles, your Port Vales, the other clubs he's represented. What, what was, what did your, did your prep tap into any of this line of thought about zero filter versus fancy Dan? Was, was there any sort of views that you were shaping when we'd signed him? Um, well, it's funny because I didn't always pick out opposition players, but right at the start of the title winning season, when he came down with Carlisle and, you know, he was a, you know, that was when he was, Right at the start of Carlisle and have quite a good first half of the season. I kind of thought, you know, kind of remember him running out as being direct, being a threat, and thinking there, there's a, a player, an interesting sort of player to keep an eye on. So I was quite, I was quite kind of encouraged when he, he turned up on trial and when we when we signed him after that, having seen little bits of that. But the, I think the interesting thing is when we've gone to Carlisle, when we've gone to Port Vale, it's you know all the home. The first thing that people would talk about is McCurdy, and it's like, what have you, what have you done to him? How have you got him working? You know, working consistently as a player. Has his, has his attitude changed? All that, all that kind of stuff, really. So, um, you know, he's he's kind of made a mark wherever he's gone. Not necessarily, not necessarily a good one, but it's like he's like, he hardly played for Port Vale, and yet all before that game, the, the sort of Vale people took on what what's McCurdy like? I think they, I think they've kind of interviewed him and found him difficult, whereas. Um, this was this was one of my unpleasant surprises. One of the pleasant things of the year. We didn't really speak to him very much because um, after games, because uh, it was live, and I think we kind of feared the worst. But when he came on against Northampton, he was he was great. He was entertaining. He was open. He was thoughtful, and he he was kind of interesting. You saw you saw the sort of um, someone riding the banter bus. Do you know what I mean? You saw you saw someone with a bit of a bit of kind of depth and a bit of thought and. Sort of understanding that this was perhaps his last chance, so he's kind of he's kind of created waves wherever he's gone. But at some reason at Swindon, he's he's got the he's got the sort of right vibe this time. Yeah, and there was that wonderful soundbite, Andrew. Was it your interview at Bristol Rovers when there was a young kiddie basically saying to his dad, who was a Rovers fan, "I'm I'm actually going to support Swindon Town," and 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 you sort of had Harry chuckling along. Um, was that your interview, or was that something official with the club? I think that I think that was the the club one, but he was, he was yeah he was around he was around sort of afterwards then, and yeah, that was, I do remember I do remember that that was that was just quite an quite an entertaining exchange. So, um, okay, well, look, Vic, you've, you've also got five dislikes, and the first of which you sort of touched on, the home form. So we just went into this period, didn't we, earlier in the season, that, and it seemed like a monkey we just couldn't get off our back, where our home form was excruciating. I mean, I remember going to Sutton away and just, I mean, certainly, you know, for the sort of the opening 45 minutes, just thinking, wow, we're playing the most incredible stuff here. This isn't what I recall from Rochdale or Mansfield and so forth. But um, I don't want to steal your thunder, Vic. Talk, 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 us, talk us through your thoughts on the home form. 
Yeah, just final thought on McCurdy and, um, you, you know, the fact is, I, I, oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Anyway, let's go on to the home form. Yeah, OK, I'll come back to me in a minute. Um, yeah, the, the home form, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an age thing. Um, you know, coming back to the home form, I mean, the away form, those of us who've been lucky enough to travel, I've missed one away game this season, which is Northampton. But, you know, those of us who've been lucky enough to travel have seen some fantastic performances and Sutton away was one of them with Johnny Williams in, well, in, in spectacular form. And then you come home and you see some games where really they play like drains. And it's just been, you know, you mentioned the atmosphere and, and, and the point about the noise. If there's nothing to get excited about, it's very difficult to get excited. And I think the county ground has suffered from that this season. And I get the fact that you should be behind the team all the time. But when you're sitting there and nothing really is happening, it's very difficult to get excited. And... The home form has been this kind of enigma, hasn't it? Whereby you go away from home, spectacular performances like at Forest Green, at Bristol Rovers, at Bradford. Although under at Bradford, of course, for 20 minutes, it looked like we might get stuffed 6-0 up there for, for a few moments. Carlisle away, great performance. Wonderful performances away from home. And then you... Do you know what? There are games this season I can't even remember at home. Uh, people say to me... Oh, we, we've played them and we lost whatever it is. And I said, did we? I can't remember those games. You know, that's how bad the home form's been sometimes. And the frustration about this, as I said before, you know, if we'd won two or three more home matches, we wouldn't have to worry about the playoffs, would we? And I think anybody who's been to watch Swindon at the county ground this season must surely feel the same. Because, you know, there are times when you're driving away from there thinking, why did we bother? It was just awful. And I didn't enjoy that at all. And yet there are other games like Forest Green at home, Barrow at home. You know, when you, you drive away thinking, that's why I go to football. That's the whole point. Northampton, New Year's Day, when Harry got four, albeit Northampton had just recovered from COVID. And, you know, we, we absolutely wiped the floor with them. So I don't know. The home form has been a major frustration. I just, you know, I don't think Ben Garner knows, does he? I just don't think he understands why the home form has been so indifferent. It's been just a bizarre season where normally you win your home matches and you get the odd win and a, a few points away from home and that's okay. This season, it's been the other way around. We win away from home, but we can't win at home. It's very mm. strange. Yeah, very strange. I mean, Ty, I'll take your your view at this stage. I mean, I, earlier in the season, I think it was after a, probably about our, our fifth kind of real nothing performance and sort of damp squib of, squib of a performance. The conversations you and I were having were all around a um, almost like the guys were you know the team was choking in front of a five-figure crowd I mean we were uh, you can you, you reflect back to the Paolo Di Canio era um, where you know we were you know, winning trophies and we, we got crowds this season that were bigger than that and obviously we, we were having discussions around look, League Two footballers you know is it is it just that they go out on the you know what is in relative terms a, you know, a, we're a big club at that level you know it's big facilities big stands stands full of fans and is it actually just a bit too much for them um to what extent side do you think this season has been that sort of choking or to what extent do you think it sort of taps into what Ali Willits was saying on Monday that actually they just needed more from the fans uh, it's definitely not not choking in front of a big audience for me because we've gone up to Bradford and, and proved that that we really can dig in when we have to I think it was more more sort sort of, they need more from the fans to know that they've got they've got their backing they've got their encouragement from the get go. Where if you start moaning on on just one heavy touch early on when when they're sort of getting adjusted to the game, it 
it will affect their confidence and, and they won't play as well. Um, but I think I think it's it, it was also sort of the play style, and I do think that Ghana sort of cha- changed that later in the season, and and it saw the home form improve. Obviously, with the Northampton game, we came out the blocks flying, and, and we absolutely smashed them. Walsall came out the blocks pr- pretty well. It ha- had a couple of iffy bits in that game, nice and early on, but but as soon as we scored, we we looked comfortable. I think I think it was a lot with the the play was a bit too slow and and too to a bit like rigid that, that they had to do these patterns and he sort of just in the end I feel as soon as we changed that dynamic front three of Barry Davison and and McCurdy I think think that was what what sort of propelled us forward because if you've got three lads who, who want to score goals at home then then they're going to do a bit more and create more which the more you create the, the more you're going to score so I, I thought it it was sort of down down to Ghana to make the change. I think he made the right change, and we saw that the the form at home change. and And I think we ended the season with with more wins at home than than losses, which sounded like an absolute far cry from what we would have had if if we just kept going with how we were going before what before January. Yeah, it's an interesting point, Sarah, and I'll bring Andrew in on that as well because Andrew, I I reflect. Um, Helen Dolan is somebody on Twitter who I, I have the the, um, the luxury of bumping into from time to time over at the cricket club, and Helen and I had had two or three conversations around around the sort of in the build up to the Scunthorpe game where we were saying, look, something's got to change here. You know, tactically, something's got to change. You felt that 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 growing frustration of lackluster performances at home, like it was getting a bit much, and and there were some serious questions being asked about. Ben Garner's style of management, and again, I use that that, that term of sort of lazy, lazy assumption being made. That hang on a second, is this just that we've got an under twenty threes coach and the job's too big for him? And there's a large group of us that convene over there before games, and that seemed to be a bit of a growing sentiment. Was that sentiment sort of permeating into the commentary box, Andrew, with you at that point? Um, yeah, you could you could certainly sort of feel the the kind of crowd. Crowd frustration, and yeah, I, I, I do think at points this season you did wonder about their. It, it was just their like ability to somehow break down, break down sides who would come and sit there, or perhaps deal with the more physical teams. Because yeah, I'm just having a look at a look at some of the the kind of form in that run. You know, draw with Bristol Rovers where Bristol Rovers had the better of it. Um, scragging a point against Crawley, losing at home to Exeter, and then there was the the kind of Tranmere defeat which was a poor performance before that that game with Scunthorpe and yeah I, I think certainly the kind of correspondence we got was um, getting a bit twitchy at that point about whether you know the team can play with the the sort of energy and tempo that you you to see and and yeah you do you do start to question what the you know what the coach is, is telling them so there was there was just something about it where it did feel like it would I don't know. It's a bit like maybe it's a bit like one of those 1930s cars. You needed to wind on the handle for a long time for the team to actually get going. And I guess you've you've kind of lost the crowd a little bit at that at that point. That you know you sat through the first half hour, and not a lot's happened, and you you know you you start to doubt a bit. Is it going to happen? Are they going to find a way to a way to break teams down? Yeah, it's a shame that we haven't got the benefit of a you know of being able to speak to one of the players in the dressing room at this point because I I 
I, I sort of sensed to, to Ty's point about our front three that, you know, you had these players straining at the leash. Uh, and I think the fans knew it. We knew it. There, there needed to be a bit of a tactical shift. In, in Garner's um, sort of saving grace was that tactical shift, Ty, wasn't it? Um, he, he he made the bold bold switch um, and and away they went. But Vic, Vic moving down your, your list of... Um, of, of dislikes now obviously we can't really do much about uh, road closures we've talked about that frustration <laughs> around those but you talk you've talked about um the the, the fair the the food that's available at league two and particularly with a vegetarian slum you <laughs> well well looked after a forest green when you could finally get yeah. into the ground unlike yeah. with a lot of people watching the game from the hill but um talk, talk us through your gripes with league two fair vic Oh, I just finally, I just remembered the McCurdy point I was going to make. I mean, it, uh, he's a fan, isn't he? He's a fan of Chelsea. We all know that, and he loves going to watch Chelsea. He knows he understands that. And I made the mistake of saying, "Oh, you scored against the best side in the world in the in in the, the dinner the other night." He said, "The second best, the second best." He quickly put me right. So he's a fan. He gets it. He understands it. So that goes back to the connection that that, that he has with the with the town fans. Yeah. Um. Mm, it's you know I I'm I'm speaking as a sort of a vegetarian you know I will proudly hold my hands up and say I'm a vegetarian and yes I do enjoy going to Forest Green Rovers when you can have an actual meal at a football ground you know I I get that every you know the vast majority of people who go to to football aren't so I get that but if you're a vegetarian you turn up at the ground and basically what you can get is chips that's it. There's nothing else. And I remember going to one ground. I can't remember which one it was now. And I said, you've got anything vegetarian? He said, yeah, we've got chicken bolty. You didn't quite get the concept, do you, really? <laughs> um, so it's that kind of thing, really. And I know it's a small gripe, but it is one of those things that, yeah, like M5 road closures, you know, that it's things that when you're driving back from a game at two o'clock in the morning and then you have to divert around Bristol, drive into Wales and then come back again, you know, it's the sort of thing that drives you mad, really. Um, and it's a long day when you go to Carlisle or you go to Hartlepool or you go somewhere like that and actually can't get anything decent to eat. So I beg anybody who might have any influence with any football club anywhere to think that maybe 10% of your followers are vegetarian. And just remember that. Well, so who's, so, well Andrew, I'll bring you in at this stage. So who's who, who's delivered the best food for you this year, Andrew? What's... What's been your 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 best culinary experience on the? Oh, on the that's road? a good question. The um, Bradford Bradford are pretty good. Bradford, you can get. I think pretty much you can you can tuck into the uh, the aforementioned balti pie and and chips there. So it kind it kind of varies widely. So some places you get a, a cup of coffee, and so very very occasionally you will get a more a more substantial spread. But I don't want to sound like Ian Abraham's too much. No, no, that's absolutely fine. I totally understand that. And I've got to say, hats off. I think the, the food that I've been consuming, I have consumed some calories at the county ground this year, let me tell you. But um, I think it's up there with the rest of the league. Ty, um, it's, would, would you say, I mean, I personally think there's been significant improvements over the last year in the food that's available at the county ground. What's uh, What's been your take? What's been your, what's been your favourite fare, Ty, this year? Or indeed the worst? Worst for me? Um... I think I'll have to give it to crew mainly because it just was burnt to a crisp. I didn't actually really get to taste any of it, so crew's pie was a bit bit shite. Uh, Oldham, however, runaway winners. Their pies up there are unbelievable. It, if you, if you go to Oldham, have a pie. The football might be awful. Just have a pie. 
the pies are so so good at Oldham. I I, I kind of want to go back now just just because of how good the pie was. It <laughs> it is remarkable. I think I bought like five of them, and and obviously not all for me. I think I had two, but uh, they were just so good. God, you young young whippersnapper! Of the days of me devouring two pies at games and it not immediately appearing on my triple chin the following morning are long gone. Well, look, Vic, you you close off your list of dislikes. Your number five was League Two. Bring, oh. tell, tell us all about it. Oh, I, I just desperately get out of this league. I, we spent too much time in it, and you know, to me, it's like years ago you used to watch the telly results come in, and they were like Football League Division Four, and there were certain teams that are always in Football League Division Four. And and now we seem to be one of them. And I don't, I, you know, I'm desperate for us to get out of League Two or Division Four, as many of us still call it. You know, I just, I don't want to be in in the fourth division of football. And I know, you know, that's that's just the way it is. You're where you are because you deserve to be there. Um, I, I just, I'm fed up with League Two. I really am fed up with it. I just can't, I can't tell you how how disappointed I am that my football club's been in League Two more years than out of it in the last few years. And uh, I just, we get out of it and then we, we always go, right, that's it. Let's get out of it and stay out of it. And then we seem somehow to find our way back. It's just bizarre, isn't it? And, you know, because of, you know, we had to Canio, we got out. And then because of the with lack of money, all of a sudden we went back and we got out under Richie Wellens. And then we went gone back because of that disastrous season last year. I just want to get out of League Two. I'm fed up with it. It's as simple as that, really. Yeah, no, I don't blame you, Vic. I think you and I have, have spoken about the, the way your heart sinks as you, you walk through the away end entrance at a Sutton United or a Crawley and you just sort of look around you. And I mean, it, you can almost look over every stand in the ground. And it's, I mean, it, you know, away days at Bradford kind of remind me of former glories. Mm. So like you, I, I, I can't wait to get out. I, I really can't. But look, in the interest of time, Ty, let's 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 switch over to you then with your likes and dislikes. Now, your first like is Louis Reed. Now we spent a good amount of time talking about Louis Reed, so I'm gonna urge you to be snappy on this one, <laughs> if if at all, before moving on to number two. So take us through your list, Ty. Uh I need, I need to get my list back up then. Um I'm, I'm working no, I'm, I, I'm meant to be working with professionals here. Look, look I've got your I, list I've got it, I've got it. Now. Don't you worry. <laughs> Right, so, yeah, Reedy has just been an absolute breath of fresh air for me. For someone who, who likes the sort of football that Ghana plays, I know it's not gone down a treat necessarily with, with a lot of our fans at times this year. I just think it's it's lovely. And Reedy is the sort of midfielder that, that I love. He, he can do the dirty work, but the balls he can play out wide, and oh, it's all just heavenly. So, yeah, there, there was no way he wasn't being my number one. And well, then... I- and, and every, every time we've met him, like off the field, he is just a, a good lad, and and he'll always have a chat. And to be fair, he he did use us once, um, just to get away from football field, which yes, was genius from him. To be fair, he really dropped. I can't remember who he dropped in it, but he really dropped someone else in it just just to get oh, away had, from that. So yeah, he handed football field duties over to Ricky Ag- Ricky Aguilar that night. That was it. It was Ricky. And poor poor Ricky had never met football field at that stage, and um. It's fair to say he didn't quite know what to make of him thereafter. But yeah, to to echo your point, um, Tyler, and and, and Andrew, please feel free to contribute at this stage. But the thing that really strikes me about Louis Reed, having met him on on countless times throughout the season, is 
what a really thoroughly good lad he is, number one. Number two, how much he absolutely loves and feels very at home at Swindon Town, and not in a comfortable way, but to your point earlier about the style of play, the way that the club just suits him, the way that the team seems to be built around him. And a conversation I had, and I, I'm not betraying any confidences here when I say a conversation I had with Louis Rees' dad, he's like, Louis is one of these lads that, you know, he's, um, he's talkative for sure. But crucially, he loves to let his football do the talking. Um, and it, we are we are perfectly set up to enable him to do that and bring all of these qualities to the fore. Um, Andrew, how do you, how do you find um, Louis? You've had him on media duties throughout the season. What's been your take on him? Yeah, uh, very, very good. So very, very friendly, very approachable, very professional. You, you're in that happy situation where you don't think there's anything you feel you can ask him that you're going to kind of get a volley a volley back. Um, his football talks very well, and his feet are a prime example of the the blisters that Vic and Ali were referring to. So he is he is putting himself through through a lot. But just um yeah, um, nice guy, tremendous tremendous player, and yeah, just a just a credit to the team. Credit to the team indeed. Well, so Ty, continue us off down your list of loves for this season. Uh, so so number two. And, and this one probably won't be expected, is Ellis Iandolo's midfield run. It's Same with Reedy. It's just been heavenly. Seeing him playing where he should have been playing all, all along, really, in, in by us, is, is, what I've been, is what I've been wanting. And, and he's been brilliant there. His left foot, at times, has been pure goal this season. I, th- I think he's found himself finishing second on our assist charts this year, which I don't think many would have expected going into the season and um, it's nice for him to have finally cemented his place in, in the team too I feel and I think heading into next season is he a shout for someone who, who could potentially be captain yes so I, I think Ellis since he moved into that midfield role this year was brilliant and some of the, some of the stuff he's, he's done is, is brilliant as well like, like that ball for I want to say it was McCurdy against Scunthorpe that everyone described as being Zidane-esque it's it it was good stuff, but thankfully he's he's not scored in a, in a while, and hopefully it stays like that. I, I think the thing that really fills me full of pride with Ellis and Ellis's development is that it's quite funny, isn't it? I mean, he made the point to us uh, in relation to the two awards he picked up uh, last Tuesday night from us that you know, well, boys, thanks ever so much, tongue in cheek. It's only taken me seven years to become the most improved player at Swindon Town, but the he um the the thing that I, I'm I'm really chuffed about is that there's, you clearly were always aware that there was a player in Ellis, but that we do, and we're going to come on to this when I go through my list, but we do have a tendency to search for whipping boys at Swindon Town, people that are easy to just have a bit of a poke at. And um, whilst, whilst I, you know, if I was to mention names like Michael Pook, for example, I thought that the danger with Ellis was that he was going to become a Michael Pook, um, where a lad that gives his all, loves the club, bleeds Swindon Town, but becomes very, very easy to just sort of slot into that sort of sort of whipping boy territory. Um, but, I mean, like you, Tyler, I think the, the, the thing about his switch from left-back to left-centre midfield was that the, the, the improvement was, and we were keen to stress this to him on Wednesday night, that was the context of those awards. The improvement was so steep in terms of not just looking like comfortable and affecting games, but here we've got a player that's actually suddenly gone from being the kind of whipping boy type character 
to be one of the first names on the team sheet. And crucially, he's still, you can see he's still young enough and he's still got so much more development in him. So, I mean, I'm not at all surprised, Ty, he makes your list. Um, what else you got, Ty? Uh, no, number three, it's just away games with your mates. Since everyone went through that that 18-month spell of lockdown where couldn't really do much, couldn't go out with your mates as much as you wanted. Being able to go out with them on a Saturday, travelling up to Hartlepool, Carlisle, Rochdale, wherever, it, it's it's been a bit of a breath of fresh air and it's, it's, it's nice to have it back and, and be able to do it all again. And so that's why this season I think I've done 53 games. Like It's, it's just... That's what football's about more more than more than anything, really. And being able to do all that again, it's it's a relief. Yeah, and, and so I'd echo that. I mean, listen, from my point of view, um, but following Swindon Town's always been a kind of tricky one in terms of building sort of local connections because I've got a a sort of two hundred and forty mile round trip. I have to leave to get there early, try and avoid the, you know, the um, the issues on the road because I'm driving. I'm not really drinking. So typically I'm not usually in and around the Legends Lounge. And, and, and historically, I've, I've never been to the cricket club and uh, and, and I just never really been much of a social beast um, in and around Swindon Town. But lockdown flicked a switch in my head where I said to myself, right, when these doors open again, I'm going to be making a real effort. To, to, to get to know some of these people. And that journey started with you. So, I mean, hats off to you, because that's then led to me meeting a whole host of people at Swindon Town that I now refer to as my friends. And interestingly, we touched on the what one of the things that COVID did do was brought in a whole host of new tech and got us all experimenting with ways to connect with people over the internet. Uh, the whole reason this show exists is because of that. Um, as a consequence of that, um, you know, one of my childhood heroes, I've, I've said before, without me sound gushy, Vic, you know, your influence on my Swindon Town supporting is huge. I've become acquainted with with Andrew as a consequence of, of, of some of this technology and being able to meet him and have meaningful conversations and regard you guys all as my friends. So, yeah, Ty, I'm not at all surprised that's on your list. And I do think that that is kind of obviously that's that's being repeated in, in in with many 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 hundreds of people which has been responsible for such large crowds this year so hats off to you guys i just want to say my own personal thank yous because it's been a, a tremendous season in terms of building bridges with people um on and offline and and crossing those streams of, of course well what else you got on your list ty so n- n- number four i think we've sort of touched on it which was just sort of like the general vibe the general feel around the club he- heading into it. Like, everyone seemed to be on the same page, pushing in the same direction. We-, we mentioned it with the Carlisle game. Everyone was just sort of happy to be there and be back at the football. And, and that-, that-, that was one of my favourite things about the season it was just how excited everyone was to go, no matter, no matter sort of how well we were doing at the time or-, or if we were on a bit of a poor run. Indeed. Se- totally seconded. And what else do we move on to? And then number five, we've also already touched on it, is food. Just the food at the football. Like, the pies up at Oldham, brilliant. The the bolty pie at Bradford, very good as well. Their burgers are awful. Um, and, and Port Vale. Port Vale have a good pie as well. Port Vale do indeed have a good pie. And hopefully we're all going to be enjoying them together on Thursday night, subject to ticket availability. Well, look. 
we'll, we'll flip the script a little, Andrew. We'll come to you and we'll kind of do yours in reverse. So talk to me about your your dislikes, Andrew, of this season. All permission to be grumpy and moan, marvellous. Um, yeah, well, with too much positivity from young Ty, <laughs> let's bring the tone back down. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I, I, won't make, I won't make too much of this because this, this didn't really carry on, but crowd behaviour at Steven Engine, like that seats got, seats were getting thrown onto the pitch and the, the sort of first two things I'm going to mention are, are in very different ways. They they kind of lead back to the same word, which was sort of a, a kind of feeling of entitlement. So that that was, I felt that was that was pretty ugly. And obviously, you know, we kind of did suffer as a consequence of that in terms of how many people we could take to some of the, the subsequent away games. That seems to have settled down as far as I know. But um, that was... Yeah, that was that was unpleasant. Or that that atmosphere felt unpleasant at Stevenage, even not not sitting in the way. I don't know, I don't know what it was like for anyone who's in the away end, but that um, that sort of stuck with me for a while afterwards. So that I think that was the first one. Yeah, I've I've never really Andrew understood, and maybe this is uh, you know I'll I'll draw criticism from from those quarters and the criticism I draw. Please do uh, feel free to unfollow me and never listen to our show again. But. I've never really understood the rage that must go through someone's mind where it seems like a good idea to rip an advertising hoarding or rip a seat up and 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 throw it at the pitch. I mean, as someone that takes um, you know my kids to games and my kids aren't toddlers, um, but I, I yeah, I like you. I went through a, a period where I was genuinely concerned that you know one of my kids was going to end up with a big lump of plastic smashing them in the back of the head. Um, and that that's not an enjoyable thing to have to do, be constantly looking behind you, sort of like seeing that, hang on, are there any familiar faces here that I need to, you know, ensure that I'm moving away from? Um, thankfully, these aren't people I know. These aren't people that I've, I've seen. I've not been close enough to it or I've been in any peril. But, yeah, guys, come on, seriously, if anyone's listening to this that gets involved in that kind of stuff, give your head a wobble because the the no, like the, the financial implications on our club were significant. Um, you know the, the you know the feeling that you do put in fellow fans. I mean, I'm not a shrinking violet in in the in the stands by all means, but yeah, I mean, it's I'm, I'm completely with you, Andrew. And um, yeah, you're um, yeah on the money with that. Uh, don't let me stop you, Andrew. What else have you got? Um, the second thing I got was something I kind of called the Arrow Brats because there was just a point in around. Um, December, where it would feel like every week Ben Garner would come out and complain about penalty decisions, like almost kind of regardless of what they won or lost. And um, you know, some, sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. I think I understand from a professional level, it's incredibly frustrating. I would think for managers and players sometimes if they feel a part-time referee has given their full-time um, job, you know, you know, given them something that they don't deserve and something they've worked for. But you saw the kind of this. This doesn't usually bother me when people mouth off the referee a bit. But you saw all the complaining after that game. Dion Conroy got sent off. They surrounded the referee after they conceded two penalties. And you, there was just a point where you felt, is this kind of sort of culture of we're not getting anything from the referees? We're going to complain about it. Are we going to actually, you know, kind of? It was a there was something kind of sulky about that game and about that performance. And to be fair, again, you've not really seen that. That afterwards, I, I think I did ask Ben going after that. Is like, is there is there something about kind of referees and so on that is kind of coming from the top here that you you need to deal with? So so that point where that whole issue of like referees and and kind of discipline and just a bit of petulance was just creeping in, but but thankfully it didn't it didn't really sort of settle. 
Oh, but I mean, you're, you're saving me a job, Andrew, when it comes to my list, because I don't know whether it's me or, you know, because it's to see, you know, there's always this feeling that decisions iron themselves out over the course of the season. But every single game, I found myself leaving, the, you know, either the county ground or, or an away ground, just shaking my head in complete disbelief at the standard of refereeing that I was that I was seeing and and some of the things that were being missed. And I was really quite pleased when I got home and I was looking at the highlights and going, no, I, I don't actually think that I'm just, you know, I'm being a sulky fan. Like some of this, some of this, some of this really is kind of, you know, justified, you know, some of this feeling really is justified. So I think I could understand, you know, that, that sentiment building up in Ben Garner. But I, I always, when it comes to football clubs and referees, I reflect on a, a comment that, you know, Brian Clough used to say about referees, he used to go absolutely bananas at his team, whether you like referees or hate them. His approach was always, well, hang on a minute, they're only human beings. You know, but you know, you've almost got to butter these guys. Like you would, you know, he would chastise his players for criticizing referees, and he would go to great lengths to kind of lay out the red carpet for referees because he knew how to play the game. And to your point, Andrew, I couldn't help but think, hang on, we're, we're getting the game game plan wrong here. So many decisions are going against us. I think it's because we're getting a reputation. Yeah, no, I did, I did wonder. Yeah, I did wonder at that point whether there was something you know following around, and you know. There would be a point where Harry McCurdy was just bringing up a stream of bookings each week for dissent, which can't you can't indeed to referees. But again, I, I, you know, out of out of something bad, I think that Barrow game, something I think a switch did flick to some extent, and that's you know, um, I guess Lewis Reid against Sutton Park. It's been that hasn't really been so much of an issue, but um, it's you know, it's incredibly easy for for me to start giving referees a bit of stick in a in a commentary. It's um. A bit, a bit of a sort of last refuge of a scoundrel, but some, some, sometimes I just have turned around and looked to whoever's next to me, and we've kind of both the eyebrows have gone up, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we don't get this, we don't get and this. Andrew, whether there's an issue at your end, hey, come again. Hello, hello. Oh, I, I can hear Andrew. All good. Andrew, feel feel free to continue. For yeah, me. yeah. Oh, 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 great! You're going to get me just with a st- stream of bitterness about what's been a really great season. Um, so that was uh, the next one on on my list. I'll try and keep keep these sort of fairly brief. Was the is the kind of Tyree Simpson tug of war, I suppose? Because um, ultimately, both you know, neither side has got what they wanted out of that. Tyree Simpson spent half a year um, stuck back in the under twenty threes. Ipswich, rather than developing his game where he was playing well. Um, Ipswich are going to, probably going to lose a player who they could have developed and got money for, and I'm sure we'll never know the exact truth of it. But that it's one of the kind of dislikable things about football, I guess, that um, players, agents, clubs will all, you know, get stuck in in kind of fairly ugly tugs of war over money when there are when there are people behind it. So that was as a just as a kind of whole a whole issue that was. That was frustrating because you know no, no one, no one has been served well by by how that has has all ended. No, no, that's that's a proper sort of dodgy and weird one with with how that one ended up going and and rolling in the end with obviously Tyrese. I don't think he's even played a minute since since going back and all it's done, like he says, is stunted his development. Vic, I don't know if if you've got any sort of thoughts on on this part, but. 
Well, I, I, absolutely, it stunted his development. He's missed half a season, hasn't he? And he got eleven goals whilst he was with us, and he was there on Saturday, wasn't he? And watching the team, I mean, I think if he had a chance to come back to Swindon Town, I think he definitely would. It seems to me he he had a great first half of the season. His game came on leaps and bounds, and he he suddenly he was never going to be an out and out goal scorer, but. What he is going to be is somebody who who works his socks off and works really hard for the team, and and that got better and better and better. And those two goals he got up at Oldham were fantastic goals. And you know we brought in uh, Josh Davison, who who's also another player who gives you a hundred percent in every single game, but he's never going to get you as many goals as Tyree Simpson gets. But whether he'll come back or not, he I, we'll see next season. But I think he was a player who, who most. Swindon fans would would welcome back with open. Well, it's a bit of a shame that the tech's a bit glitchy. Um, Vic, I think I cannot help but think it's probably time of day. Normally, we're after the watershed where the loading on the local internet probably isn't as, as brutal as it as maybe is being at the moment. But um, Andrew was uh, Andrew was talking so eloquently about his his dislikes, and um, I think we got to the stage where we'd we'd passed up petulance in the stands. Um, I know that's been a, you know, that was certainly a bugbear of yours when we spoke earlier in the season. Um, sorry, Andrew, you're, you're, and you're back on, Andrew. Sorry about that. No, it. no, that's all right. I think it's a time of day thing and local internet loading. But what was, um, pick, pick up where you left off, Andrew. Yeah, so I, I've got two more dislikes. We've kind of done a bit of, sort of Barrow and the whole Tyree Simpson thing. Um, dislike four is Colchester. Um, I should say the people there are nice. BBC Radio Essex are nice. Um, but we don't win there. Something strange happens, and it's the worst example of new ground development bar Chester. In the it's, in the end, it's like just stuck in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to do around it unless you really love BP service stations. And there's so much <laughs> open space that whatever the Colchester fans try, it's very hard for them to to generate atmospheres. So I'm um, just Colchester away in general is has some of the, the worst aspects of, of modern football to it. It really is a, a kind of soulless place to be. And I think it's it's a warning to anybody that may consider relocating their football club to a all-purpose built stadia. Um, and, and, and certainly, I think one of the things I love about our football club is it's right in the heart of our community. And I think... Colchester is a good indication of when that kind of stuff goes horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> it's probably the politest way that I can put it. Um, what about your likes, Andrew? Uh, likes, we, we've done we've done quite a few. I mean, we've kind of done, we've talked about Scunthorpe, we've talked a lot about Harry McCurdy, uh, we've talked about the atmosphere for the last few games. Um, we've touched on Man City a bit, but I think definitely a like was we did kind of slay some bogeys this season. So, like, we won we won a derby with fans there at um, Bristol Rovers, uh, which was good. And we got to the third round of the FA Cup. I, and even as an uh, something of an arch FA Cup cynic, because, um, you know, people going on about, oh, it's, you know, it's the only game on telly in 1980s. Well, we didn't have mobile phones then either, and so on and so forth. Um, but a lot of people at Warsaw then, it meant something just to get into the third round at last, after all the kind of indignities we've had, and then to you know obviously hit the best possible draw, basically you could get was a was a massive bonus. But just to just to do something in the FA Cup was quite quite a pleasure. Yeah, it's a fair fair point that as well because 
okay, people, you know, the, the FA Cup's taken a bit of a bit of a pounding over the last sort of decade or so, and its its importance um, as a as a competition is questioned by many. But there is still a certain magic about it, isn't there? And and yeah, the fact that we, you know we ended up as a consequence of the FA Cup enjoying an absolute fiesta uh, um, uh, event at the county ground with with City coming to town, I think really captures ev- everyone's imaginations. And I, I would be very very surprised if you ask most town fans for their top three highlights of the season um, if Manchester City coming to town and the McCurdy goal uh, didn't play a, a big part in that. Um, yeah, well, and 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 you know, I mean, really, it's 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 just a difficult thing, isn't it, Andrew? I mean, you know, I don't want to kind of, I'm not here to kind of, you know, sell the virtues of the FA Cup, but um, yeah, it really is one of those tournaments where you kind of just you just desperately want to inject some huge level of importance back into it, like automatic, um, you know, automatic qualification to the Champions League, or you know, so on and so forth, but. Realistically, that's never going to happen. But um, I mean, uh, the FA Cup as a, as a whole, Andrew, this year, I think um, to, to a point, um, re- re-established some of its soul. Would you agree? No, possibly. Like I, like I say, I think you just have to, on a sort of general note, accept that it's you know it's sort of got a bit of reduced circumstances, and it is what it is. You you can kind of enjoy it. You can still enjoy it and accept that it's never quite going to have that central cultural place that um it's still it's still that it did that it did you know perhaps uh, especially for, for you and i at a time where we were where we were growing up and that that's just how life is life and and things uh, things move on yes indeed it does well i think um okay i think i mean i'm not uh, most of uh, the good news for you dear listeners is most of most of my my loves and my hates of this season. I think, you know, we have, um, you know, we have pretty much touched on, but, um, you know, two, two of the things that um, I wanted to just spend a little bit more time sort of exploring with you, good gentlemen, before we, um, we move on to, uh, uh, on to um, almost like a, 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 I don't want to call them our awards because we've already done them, but on, on notable achievers this year um, has been, I mean, two frustrations for me, really. Um, we, we touched on it before we talked about the kind of hair trigger nature of our fans. And, uh, and, uh, and I, I really, really do go back to what I said earlier. Um, I, I do sense that something's changed in that respect, but that's probably been, you know, one of the, the most frustrating parts of, um, of, of my season personally, because I'm very, very well aware. I'm not going to start standing here and saying, oh, we, we're lucky to have a club. Um, sentiment of that however does still stand and um i was very very surprised at just how quickly um memories faded in relation to where we were back in july and i think in that respect i'll leave it at that i think vic i wanted to get onto a topic i know is sort of you know closer to your heart as well which is um you know some of the um you know the targeting of some of our players this season has been pretty brutal hasn't it and and people have gone from kind of favored status to whipping boys um, sort of very, very quickly. Um, two players that, in my mind, sort of stick out that have come in for, um, you know, quite a lot of kind of, you know, merciless stick have been both Ben Gladwin and Dion Conroy, both of whom have been, you know, terrific servants to Swindon Town over the years. Um, so um, we, we've talked about it on the show before, Vic, but really keen on on drawing you in and getting getting your thoughts on that. We t- I talked before about our... Our, our supporters always seeming to like a whipping boy. And it was a shame to see that sort of come to the fore again this year. I don't get it. I've never got it. And 
you you think what effect does that have on a footballer? You know, when he makes a pass, when he makes a tackle, when he does something, is he thinking in the back of his mind, if I make a mistake here, the crowd are going to get to me? How does it affect him? I mean, you mentioned Dion Conroy, who's come back from serious injuries and is playing now. And I know we have discussed on this uh, before about this, and I, I just don't get it. I mean, I, I don't see what you get out of it by abusing somebody. And, and certainly some of the online abuse is just shameful. I, I Why would you go online and, and abuse somebody? I just don't get that. You know, I, I, I don't think anybody in any job goes out particularly thinking, I'm going to have a really bad day here. I'm going to make several mistakes. I'm going to do this wrong. I'm not going to play very well. I'm not going to do this job very well. I don't get it. And, you know, do you go around in the streets abusing people? Because if you do, you need to have a think about yourself. I just, I don't understand it. And there's a mental health attitude to this as well. We talk about about this and we, we pay lip service to it. But it seems okay these days to be able to go online and abuse people. Well, do you know what? If you want to abuse me for saying that, go ahead, because I'm old enough to put up with it. But I just don't get it. And we've seen it so often at football over the years where certain players are picked on. And I just don't know what the person who's abusing them gets out of it. What do they get out of it? Somebody can give me an answer. Great. Do they think they're better than them? Well, if you were better than them, you'd be playing on the candy ground, mate. It's that simple. You're not. So just for once... Take a step back and think about what you're doing to that footballer when you abuse them. I know we have a right to moan. Of course we do. We can all go along and have a moan on Saturday afternoon. But the personal abuse, just cut it out. Yeah, and I, th- I think obviously we, you know, we are now living in an era where we, you know, we, we, we celebrate the fact that we are able to reach out to some of our heroes and build build bridges with them. I mean, Ty, you, you've got some truly, truly wonderful stories, haven't you, about... Um, you know, relationships you've developed with certain town players as a consequence of ended up having contact with them most recently, Mandela Egbo, um, and some of the real positive aspects of being able to kind of build those bridges. Um, but then obviously that's a double-edged sword as well. So, I mean, Vic, obviously, and, and indeed, Andrew, you will you will very, very, you know, you will easily be able to recall the days where you would stood on the terrace and, you, you know, the player kind of had the escape, didn't he, in terms of, being able to just get in his car and drive away. These days, even if footballers aren't on social media, all of their teammates will be. And you know for sure that some of the stuff that's being said on social media by hook or by crook is going to find its way into their lap. And yeah, and some of it is pretty, pretty heinous. I mean, am I am I being overly romantic here? Um, Andrew, I'll take your view on this. Do you think we're, you know, we could ever realistically hope to get to a stage where our supporter base, given the experiences of the last few weeks and some of the comments, like I said, I mean, I appreciate the whole supporter base won't necessarily have seen Ali Willis. Well, I hope they do, Vic, for your benefit and that of the, the of the, of, um, the supporters, uh, supporters club. But, you know, Ali kind of made a point about the positivity from the supporters, the impact on, on the inside the dressing room on these players. I mean, there's always been that feeling, let's save it up till the final whistle. You know, get behind your team until the whistle goes. Show your displeasure at the end, but get behind them for that 90 minutes. It's been said many times. Do you think it's realistic that we'd ever get to that point where we could get that kind of collective sort of support? I kind of know what the answer is going to be, but I'm interested in your thoughts. Um, I think... I'm not sure. Oh, we get very, very off topic there. Are we as a society at that at that place where um, 
we we can we can do that and everyone can kind of submerge their their feelings for 90 minutes and push all in one direction or kind of all sort of you know sitting on able to sit on twitter and facebook and just if anyone uses facebook still or or tiktok or whatever and and just you know we have that instant kind of button we can hit to release our frustrations or almost so um are we, are we ever going to be in a, a situation where we just all push in the right, all push in one direction for ninety minutes and leave that and leave that behind? Just but that that may be much more of a, a societal thing than a, a football thing. I hope so. But like I said earlier, um, that that forest green experience, I can't imagine anyone who who went there wouldn't want some some more of that. And you know, it, it's your choice. You can make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, 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 I was lucky enough in, you know, in a previous life to, you know, be able to travel out to um, certain clubs where that sort of spirit seems a little bit more touchable. Now, that may well be that I didn't speak the local language. But if you take, for example, um, Borussia Dortmund and the whole, um, you know, yellow wall feeling that they generate within their ground to an extent, Villarreal as well, the whole yellow submarine piece there. They, they seem to be able to engender more of a kind of, you know, collective responsibility within the, within the 90 minutes. But um, the, I, I just feel that the comparison to the UK, like, you know, it, it can just be um, so hair trigger. And you know, like I say, unfortunately, my experiences um, pretty much since the Steve McMahon era of Swindon Town fans is that we can be vi- very bipolar and very hair trigger very quickly. So I, I truly am a dreamer. I truly do believe over the last few weeks we've kind of, you know, sort of moved away from that. Um, but um, hey, listen, let's, um, you know, we'll park all of that because now we're, we're starting to sort of, um, you know, look towards a, a double-legged affair over um, with Port Vale. Um, Tyler, bring you back online at this stage. I'm sure now we're going to start talking about wide pitches and excitement. What's, um, how, are you, how are you feeling um, looking ahead, Ty? Um, starting on Sunday, but obviously two, two-legged affair. We've got to think about Thursday night as well. You're feeling pretty pumped. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a very good game for us. Um, I do think that the last game we played against Port Vale at the county ground, obviously, I think, think we lost 3-1 on the day. You could see what we were trying, but at the same time, it, it just wasn't working. I think the squad's stronger than it was when we played them back in, God, when was that now? November, October, maybe. I think the squad's much stronger than it was then now, which will hopefully help us. And obviously, the last time we played them, they they got absolutely ripped apart. Helped that they were down to down to 10 in the end. But even in that first half, we, we, we still deservedly were ahead. And then, obviously, they've scored. But I, I think we, we, we should fancy our chances. And, and as long as the fans get behind them, we've been very good at home recently. So hopefully that continues with, with the form we've got going. Yeah, I'm. I mean, of all the of all of our playoff um, opponents, they were the the team that I most fancied in the draw. And I mean, I'll, I'll take your your view on this, uh, Vic. I think Mansfield um, on occasion this season have looked very handy, um, and certainly I think um, appreciate we 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 took Northampton apart at our place. Um, but Northampton um, have, have obviously ended the season in the position that they have for a reason because they've got a really rich run. 
w- would you would you have preferred any of the other any of the other um, two clubs, Vic, as opposed to Port Vale? Were you you quite happy with that as a draw? Well, I'm pretty glad that Rovers are out of it. I think everybody is. I think that's uh, the one thing we didn't really want, quite frankly. But uh, no, I, I, whoever you played, listen. There's a great saying, isn't it? You can't affect what's been, but you can affect what's to come. And I, and I think that's the way you've got to go into it. This is a new season now. And whatever's been in the last, you know, nine months, you've got to draw a line under and look ahead to what's ahead in the next week and a half. You know, I think, look, we're loving being in this position. We want to get through this semi-final, don't we? Um, I, I can't mention what's to become after that because you can only see what's in front of you. And these two games are massive. And, you know, Sunday is going to be one of those occasions when you have to go along and enjoy it. If you don't enjoy Sunday, then I don't, I can't, you know, I can't help you. You go along because we're in the semi finals of the playoffs. We want to get out of this league. It's the route we can do to get out of this league. Get, al- get along there on Sunday if you've got a ticket and just enjoy the occasion and, and, and give everything to help that team on the pitch. I, I you know, I, I'm one of these people who kind of quite look, looks forward to the end of the season because it's a long and arduous campaign but this season I'm really looking forward to the playoffs because we didn't think we'd be there get there enjoy it love this moment go to Vale Park next Thursday scream your heads off let's get through the semi-final let's be positive about this and I'm the most miserable person on the planet anybody who knows me will tell you that but not at the moment I'm thinking (laughs) come on let's get through this semi-final and get through it we need to get out of this league you're, 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 you're Victor Morgan, not Victor Meldrew, Vic. Oh, I, won't, I, won't have any, I won't have anything else, any other comment made. Uh, Andrew, your, your prep for the, for the Port Vale game, mm. um, uh, hopefully, hopefully it's coming along well. But I mean, certainly I'm looking at it from a point of view, if, if they're having to play Chris Hussey as a left centre-back, they've got problems. Um, what's, what's your take on it going into the game on Sunday? Yeah, and it almost sounds like we've been prepared to read from the same script. But I think we've all we all seem to have come to the conclusion independently that out of the other three teams you could get, Port Vale are look like the best the best option. Having stuttered a little bit, you know, before that Monday game against Newport, they knew if they got two wins, they were going up, and then they they put in or they they got opened up by Newport, who were arguably one of the more similar teams to Swindon in the way, you know, they want to try and pass the ball and play. So you look at the way that, that Newport were able to kind of get at, get at them and that that gives you encouragement. The away game that Tyler talked about, they were very good in the first half, even before the, the sending off there. And the away record in general gives you confidence that, you know, so even if even if the home leg's a bit cautious and a bit of a dab squimp and you, you go their level, I don't, I don't think you're that, I don't think you're, wor- you're that worried. You still think there's a decent chance of progressing, even if you, even if you go up to Vale Park and it's nil nil or one one, or whatever. So you, you kind of look at, you look at it, and you know they're capable. They've got a bit of a physical edge that Swindon don't always have. But you're not. I don't. I don't think you're. I don't think you're fearful. I'm. I'm unexpectedly calm because um, Vic talks about enjoying playoff games as a spectator. I just live them as a ninety minutes of um, pure adrenaline roller coaster terror, essentially. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're great, but you know, the you know, it's like the Charlton games will live with me long, will live, live with me long in the memory. But they're um, they're they're almost more than I can handle. Sometimes. How, how do you survive it, Andrew? I mean, obviously, you've got the mic in the hand. Yeah, I mean, mm. is it, do you think it's easier for you being the man on the mic? 
as opposed to us, us having to just stand there and suffer it. But, you know, whilst I know you're not affecting what's happening on the pitch, the fact that, you, that somehow, does that does, does that kind of help you keep your noodle in check? I think it does. I think, I think it makes sure I've got, I've got like something to do, something to focus on rather than, rather than just suddenly build up a Port Vale striker as one of the most terrifying creatures on the planet when they're 30 yards from goal. So I think that, yeah, yeah, that, that, it's kind of quite, it's quite calming or quite good to have something something to focus on during the, the the games as well even even when they finish even when they finish 5-5 i mean if i hadn't, if I hadn't been doing commentary on the 5-5 then some